0: Hello again, everybody, and welcome into another edition of Political Beats, a presentation of National Review. You can find us on Facebook or look for us on Twitter. Join the conversation at political underscore beats. We invite you to subscribe to our feed. Get those new episodes automatically through Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, tune in, Check us out at nationalreview.com. Listen, enjoy, share with friends, leave reviews, have fun. Also check out our Patreon, which is Patreon.com slash politicalbeats. You can help the show stay ad-free, as we are today, and support our efforts on the program. An entry-level for support and voting privileges on a few things we'll push out there over the course of the year. Mid-level for early access to all our new shows and also those shows at a higher audio quality. And then our upper-level, our bestest friends in the whole wide world. Exclusive content once a month. We just started this month with a new... Uh, we'll do it occasionally... Uh, looking at a year in music, we did 1976. It's a great show, fun show. That's available for our exclusive content, people. Plus, remastered episodes. With, uh, additional song clips will be posted over the months. Spotify playlists with our end-of-show choices and more. Selling you at patreon.com slash politicalbeats. Patreon.com slash Beats. My name is Scott Bertram. Find me on Twitter at Scott Bertram. My tag team partner standing by. As always... Jeff Blair. Jeff, how are you?
1: I'm a little bit gloomy, Scott. You know, I was reading our iTunes reviews recently and I see some people have been talking the showdown. You know, they pick up they bring up its name and they pass it around. They don't mention that the really great episodes. And they do their thing and I'll do mine because I don't know. Scott baby, that's hard to change. I just can't tell them how to feel. Sooner or later though, it all gets real. We'll just walk on.
0: Walk on. That's the plan. Find Jeff on Twitter at EsotericCD. And back for part two of three of our Neil Young series. He does return the editor in chief of National Journal. Find nationaljournal.com. Also on Twitter at DC DeFore. Jeff DeFore, welcome back. Thank you. As Neil himself
2: would say at the band's last waltz, it's one of my pleasures. It's one of the pleasures of my life to be on stage with these people. <laughs> so thank you for having me back.
0: Thank you for coming back. And for those who were not with us on part one, well, first, why not? Go find it, listen. Uh, but you'll know, you'll, you'll know now that we uh, we started, of course, at the beginning of the career. That's a good place to start. And we took last episode, part one, all the way up through, say, 1973 or so, and uh, time fades away. The final thing we covered in part one of Neil Young which means we are just uh, we are we are just rolling into the ditch, as Neil would say. As we begin this part two, I'll slide things over to uh, real Jeff, original Jeff, to begin us on our journey here in part two. I think that's
1: unfair to, to Mr. Defore. <laughs> we are both real Jeffs, uh, but uh, yes, what what happens after time fades away? It's the first of what has retrospectively been referred to as Neil Young's quote. Ditch Trilogy, which is a reference to what he said about how, like, yeah, you know, I I got to number one with Harvest, but I didn't find that the middle of the road was a very interesting place to be. So pretty soon I just headed for the ditch where I met a lot more interesting people. um And, of course, what was happening on Time Fades Away? It was a massive, you know, United States wide tour, his largest to date, uh, full band, money problems. Uh, Neil Young shooting his voice out, uh, you know, getting drunk every night. And then, of course, right before the tour begins, one of the guys who was slated to be in the band, Danny Witten, shows up so blasted. Danny Witten of Crazy Horse shows up so just blasted out of his mind on heroin that he can't play. And Neil has to fire him, sends him home with like, you know, a hundred bucks in his pocket. And then two days later, Danny Witten is dead of an overdose. Which Neil feels incredibly guilty about and even sort of responsible for. Uh, And that obviously casts an enormous pall over the tour. And what you get is you get an album like Time Fades Away, which ends with 14, begins with 14 junkies too weak to work. And it ends with Last (laughs) Dance, where, you know, he's just shrieking, no, 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 all the way to the end of the song for like three minutes. And if you thought that was gloomy enough, well, that was really only the beginning. If time fades away was the sound of Neil Young heading straight into darkness, then the next album that is recorded, though not released, interestingly enough, but the next album that is recorded is the sound of him thrashing around right in the middle of the darkness, in the belly of the beast. Uh, And it's also, I think maybe critical consensus has shifted in recent years slightly, but for the longest time was generally considered to be his single greatest album of all time. And what am I talking about? I am talking about the incredibly dementedly drunken Irish wake that is Tonight's the Night. Tonight's the
3: night Tonight's
4: the night night.
3: Line band. A sparkle was in his eye, but his life was in his hand. Well, late at night when the people were gone, he used to pick up my guitar. where he
1: goes and he gets back the rhythm section from Crazy Horse, you know, uh, you know, Billy Talbot and Ralph Molina. And then he gets Ben Keith, who he's been playing with, both in the Time Fades Away tour, first met him during the Harvest sessions. And then he does <clears throat> the most wonderful move of all is that he brings Nils Lofgren, back into the fold who hadn't been playing with Neil since 1970 on after the gold rush and then he'd gone on and you know had his own little solo career was, you know kind of a very accomplished one but it flowed under the radar uh brings in Nils uh to play both guitar and piano. Um Neil Young on a lot of these songs is actually just sitting on the piano and he's not playing like his you know old school love and mind Journey through the past um, you know, man needs a maid kind of, you know, pretty piano tunes. No, no, no. He's playing like, you know, trunk and barrel house on songs like "Speaking Out" or "Tonight's the Night." I'm feeling pretty laid back, folks.
3: Bring one of those over to me too, Ben, will you?
1: And what is this album about? Well, it's about the deaths of people he knows and the losers that he's encountered in the scene. And as I said, it's awake. And of course, the first person it deals with is somebody who died not long after Danny Witten. And that was one of his roadies by the name of Bruce Barry. Bruce Barry was like a, a nice young kid who had a lot of talent. You know, as Neil would say, late at night when the people were gone, he'd pick up my guitar and he'd sing a song in a shaky voice as real as the day was long. But, of course, Bruce was also a heroin junkie, and you can't trust junkies uh infamously. Uh, what happened is that uh, a bunch of Neil's guitars that he was you know that Barry was supposed to be storing and transporting quote unquote went missing, and it was abundantly obvious that what had happened is that Bruce Barry had sold them. he'd pawned them off so he could get money to score drugs, and so he had to get fired too, and again, just like Danny Witten a couple weeks later. He was dead of a heroin overdose, maybe even from the money that he made off of selling Neil's guitars. Early in the It's a wonderful, upbeat way to set up an album that is treated as uh, maybe the darkest and blackest of Neil's entire career, right up to the album cover, which itself is just a a pure black and white photo of Neil on stage holding his finger up, almost like he's giving you a warning saying, oh, you know, please take my advice. Please (laughs) take my advice. Um, What are your thoughts, and though you're new to this, Scott, Jeff, I'm sure you've loved this album for as many years as I have. What are our thoughts on one of the darkest, weirdest, craziest albums of the 1970s?
2: It, this record is just such a glorious mess. Uh, like you said, it's, it's an Irish wake is a great way to put it. Um, it's kind of unfocused, purposefully so. Uh, he put together this kind of ad hoc band, but some songs have have totally different players uh, some of it was recorded at different times and of course it wasn't released until almost two years after it was recorded because he didn't he wasn't sure he wanted to put this out into the world because it's such a downer um the performances themselves are uneven uh take a song like new mama where you've got these lovely uh,
4: mm.
2: lovely harmonies maybe one of my favorite vocal performances of his new mama.
3: The sun in her eyes, no clouds are in my changing skies. Each morning, when I wake up to rise, I'm living in a dream.
2: And then there's tired eyes, which sounds like he's been up for 48 hours straight. Uh, he- can't hit the high notes. His voice is cracking. The whole thing sounds off. But guess what? That's the take they use. And, and that, that kind of decision is emblematic of this whole album. Uh, just completely raw. No overdubs. Just whatever take feels the most real, that's the one we'll use. Um, and it's... I guess you could say most of it's biographical, sure. But back to, to a song like Tired Eyes... That's not even specifically about his friends overdosing. That's about a drug deal gone wrong in Laurel Canyon where a couple people got shot. A true story. Um, so you've got this sort of pall of, of again, the, the 60s disillusionment hanging over the whole thing. In addition to his personal tragedy, the, the macro meeting, the micro, so to speak. Well, they
3: shot four men in a cocaine deal. Left him lying in an open field full of old cars with bullet holes in the mirrors. He tried to do his best. Eyes.
4: Open up the eyes.
2: I always find it, find it really fascinating. We talked about "Come on, Baby, Go Downtown," in the first episode, because it's uh, it was from that, that seminal nineteen seventy uh, Fillmore show. Uh, but he throws it back on here uh, as a tribute to Danny Witten. Uh, first time a lot of people had ever heard it. Um, and I always thought that that was the the inclusion of that song was sort of like a little taste of what Saturday night was like amid this record. That's almost all Sunday morning hangover and and come down.
1: I mean, the thing about Come On Baby, Let's Go Downtown is this this album, I think, is i think it's his second greatest album of all time and i think the only one that that tops it is the one that will come immediately after it Uh, i think it's one of the most perfectly sequenced records of his career because every song seems to get comments upon the one that comes before or after it so you know what happens you have you have a, a a song one of the very few kind of quiet and beautiful songs but it's just an it indescribably sad song that comes right before this called borrowed tune it's yep. just neil on a harmonica and on a piano comes from the time fades away tour era there are live versions of it from there um and you know he's saying you know i'm climbing this ladder my head in the clouds and you're like what is he singing about and then he slowly dawns on you this guy is just this narrator which is probably neil himself is just drunk or stoned and you, you think to yourself Well, what's that melody? I feel like I've heard that song before. And then you look at the title, and it's called Borrowed Tune. And all of a sudden, if you really know your rock music, and I know you know this band pretty well, Jeff, because you were (laughs) on our show for them for the second part of that one, uh, it gets to that last verse, which is just devastating. It says, I'm singing this borrowed tune I took from the rolling stones, alone in an empty room, too wasted to write my own. And it's just so it's so beautiful but also so sad. It's a pathetic moment where like you know, the singer is just acknowledging that like it's two AM, I'm high, I'm wasted, I wanna feel something, but I don't even have the ability to like, you know, put it in my own terms. I, I just have to steal from Lady Jane by the Rolling Stones, which is what the song takes from. I'm always amazed that Neil Young never got sued <laughs> uh, because, you know, Alan Klein was a fairly litigious man. You'd think you'd want to make a couple of bucks or two off of uh, Neil Young. Then right after that song ends, just a quiet piano chord. Then it blasts into "Come on, baby, let's go downtown," which to me I always took it as sort of like a warning. Because what's the song about? "Come on, baby, let's go downtown." You know, it's like, don't get caught with you know, you know, the police, the light shining in your eyes, and and what are they doing when they go downtown? They're looking to score heroin. That's very explicitly what the lyric is. Sure enough, they'll be selling stuff when the moon begins to rise. You know. It, i'm pretty sure i know what that stuff that they're looking for is right and so it's both like a really rollicking and fun upbeat song and yet it also when it's put in the context of this album it's it's like a cautionary tale saying like oh yeah the good times but you know see where it ends you know it, it ends with the title track it ends with you know you know, uh, Albuquerque or, uh, with tired eyes. So I, as I said, I just think that this is one of the best sequenced albums. I have a ton more thoughts about it, but I wanted to know, first of all, what Scott thought.
0: I think it's great. Uh, I, I think it's wonderful. I, I think it is one of those albums and, um, I was trying to come up with a few examples this morning in which, uh, and, and it goes to Jeff's point about it being really, really well sequenced. It's difficult to think about listening to tonight's Night without listening to all of it. Without listening to it as a as a as a literal piece of art, um, you know, other albums. I think like Matthew Sweet's Girlfriend, or um, I'm this way with Heartbreaker from Ryan Adams. I, I don't pick and choose those songs necessarily. If I'm going to sit down and listen to it, I start at track one, and I am I am locked down for the entire length. Of that album. And that's the way I kind of feel about Tonight's the Night. I, I don't know, and this is how I, I will somehow um, parse the difference between Tonight's the Night and On the Beach. I, I'm not sure if these songs work quite as well. They're great songs. I don't know if they work as well uh, as they do here because of how they're sequenced, because of the commentary, as Jeff pointed out, because of the way they sort of run through. Everything just really works well. To uh, Jeff's point about you know Neil Young's voice on on this record, I mean there were all sorts of places. Uh, Borrowed Tune is just totally ragged. Uh, Metal My Mind, he's straining on those high notes. Tired Eyes, and Jeff, you had tweeted something about that being a a, a specific choice made, not
1: because... oh yeah, I mean Neil Young. If you go listen, it, we included it in the sort of the prelude section of our first episode. You know, so we were covering songs from all throughout his career. But when he played Mellow My Mind uh, on on a banjo and harmonica during the 1976 tour, so it's like several years after this, his voice is, is, is. Perfect. You know, he's he's got all of his normal high range and the purity of tone and he hits every note exactly the way that melody should, you know, normally go. But on this one, I mean, when he gets the lonesome whistle on a railroad track, his voice is cracking just like that. Uh, I think he joked. He says like this is a song that you should play loud, but you want to listen to it uh, in the next room <laughs> <laughs> because you don't, you don't want to be like right near your speakers. When I get to that note, I think he also described it as yeah, it's out of key, but it's in tune. Baby. i think is a great way of describing a lot of the vocal performances on these songs which feel like very intentional takes i'm sure he was blitzed out of his mind on tequila one of the funny things about the archives box set is that you know they, they have the tonight's night sessions there and you hear some of the like the chatter like before it and you can hear like you know neil saying like hand me that bottle of tequila or something <laughs> like that or, like you know bring that over here i want to drink so like i don't think he's faking his drunkenness but it was a definite choice to get hammered and sing songs like this and sing them in this way because he wanted to convey you know the wrecked cracked almost drained um you know emotional exhaustion uh that comes from a song like on my mind it also comes from a song like albuquerque albuquerque could be one of my favorite songs in this record it, it could even maybe make my top five at the end of the show if a friend of mine decade ago described it to me as the single most resigned song of all time <laughs> and it, it's a perfect way of describing it. it's why i remember it forever the resignation in that song is just he, it's a song of surrender he wants to quit you know i've been starving to be alone and to be independent from the scene that i known and the, and the the chorus is literally just ow. Bookerky, just almost like he's just exhaling it out of his mouth. And then that final verse, so I'll stop when I can, find some fried eggs and country ham, and I'll find somewhere where they don't care who I am. And Ben Keith has the beautiful pedal steel guitar behind it. That's the secret of these sessions is is, is Ben Keith and Nils Lofgren. Um, But, yeah, that's a song of absolutely wanting to disappear completely Um, and every note of it is conveyed in the slow like you know the the slow little like vaulting arpeggios of Neil's guitar and you know the the little piano that Lofgren plays and and Ben Keith's pedal steel it's such a magnificent piece of, of music that so perfectly reflects the spirit of its lyrics
3: So I'll stop when I can. Find some Fridays and country. Hand-
2: a good thing that albuquerque has four syllables or he really would have been in trouble with the chorus it would have been even worse
1: well it's even funny because he gets he gets at least five syllables out of the word "al." oh um, sure ow, 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 ow. but yeah that's that's a song that he never would have thought to write prior to this and And honestly i don't really think there's maybe there's something on on the beach that reminds me of it a little bit but this is not a style he'd really ever return to it it really does feel like an emotionally extreme album Mm -hmm. um you know the the song tired eyes is a perfect example of that i actually find that to be a very kind of upsetting song in its own way it's disturbing it's so um word i'm looking for here it's it, it's the stoned pitilessness of the way that Young sings those words. He speaks them. He doesn't even sing them. He's just like, "Oh well, they shot four men in a cocaine deal, you know, and you know, and they left him lying in an open field, you know." Was he just a loser? I heard he was a friend of yours, you know. He's just almost like he's mocking, you know, the person who he's talking about. And then there's just no better like or more colder epitaph for the loser in that song uh, than when he just flatly says without any lack of emotion whatsoever, he said, he tried to do his best, but he could not. Which is, the lyric there, it's not poetry, it's not Dylan, but it is so perfectly expressive of a certain kind of almost, you know, crushing dismissal of, well, here's a loser and he lost. And that's what losers do. Well,
3: tell me more. Tell me more. Tell me more. I mean, was he a heavy doper or. Was he just a loser? He was a friend of yours. What do you mean he had bullet holes in his mirror? He tried to do his best, but he could not.
1: And then that's why the chorus has just said, please take my advice. Open up the tired eyes. Please open up the tired eyes. See, see what this life is like. See your way free of it. Get out of here. Get out of here, if at all possible.
0: There's a lot of emotions on the record. And it, it's not just uh, sadness from loss, right? There's anger and hurt and there's guilt in places um and there's moments of beauty um something like world on a string there's probably some some anger right a, a very mean nasty riff the world on a string having a world on a string means nothing uh but then later on i think jeff had mentioned you know new mama that vocal performance and the arrangement on new mama and the way it sort of take you takes your breath away at the close uh at the, at the end of that song when it's just that vocal arrangement and then it stops cold it's uh, about what, 2, 225 something like that uh, that's one of the most beautiful moments on the record and then you go to roll another number which is this Waylon Jennings Merle Haggard country song with a band that sounds and almost certainly was stoned out of its complete mind um, with with it
1: has it has another great line about completely quitting because you know what's that line I'm not going you Remember remember the, the second ever Crosby Stills Nash and Young gig was when they played Woodstock in 1969. And so that's where that line, that verse I'm not going back to Woodstock for a while, though I long to hear that lonesome hippie smile. I'm a million miles away from that helicopter day. They flew in and out on helicopters. No, I don't believe I'll be going back again. It's almost, it, that's why it's right next to Albuquerque in the track listing, because mm-hmm. they belong together.
3: I'm not going back to Woodstock for a while. today oh, I don't believe I'll be going-
2: I agree with, with with one of the things Scott said, that this is maybe his his finest artistic expression, and it's a kind of disc album, whatever we're going to call it, uh, that you have to listen to all the way through. But the question is, even if it's his greatest record, it's probably never going to be my favorite, and that's for the simple reason that I'm not always in the headspace to hear it. Um, even some of the other ditch period records like on the beach uh time fades away i'll put those on in the background tonight's the night never goes on in the background i'll never just casually throw it on
1: tonight's the night is one of those albums that i always think well do i am i really up for this right now (laughs) um and then every time i put it on and i just hear speaking out i know i'm up for it which is this is one of the ones where nils lockman instead of playing piano plays guitar and, boy, he is – technically, he's a far better guitarist than Neil
2: Young. I mean, oh, he sure. plays – And by this point, he knows how to play piano, too. And that's the thing.
1: He learned – because, remember, he only learned how to play piano so he could play on After the Gold Rush. And, he, and if you hear him there, he's like very primitive. But at this point, he's got, like, really kind of refined, jazzy, bluesy licks going on. But his, his guitar on Speaking Out – like, Young actually, like, throws it over to him. He says, all right, Nils. And then he just rattles off a guitar solo for The Age is probably the best single guitar solo on any Neil Young song ever. Neil is playing the piano Neil actually does a really creditable job on the piano behind him he's playing again sort of these little barrel house
0: blues It's the drunkest piano you'll ever hear But it works,
1: it works so well
2: Yeah. And I also want to give a shout-out to Tequila. They were ahead of their time here. Tequila was not really a thing. Oh, yes. Uh, in the, in, in, in the mid-'70s, this, kind of this was kind of a whiskey, gin, maybe vodka era. Not a lot of people drinking tequila back in the, in the mid-'70s. And,
1: and that's what he would He would literally bring a bottle of tequila out on stage with him uh, for all of the shows that he did for this album right afterwards. And by the way, that's the hilarious thing. So he records this album, doesn't release it, but he does decide to do like a worldwide tour of it. He clearly felt super strongly about this music. He thought, well, this is a, first of all, it's a great band. I might not have all these guys together because, of course, you Neil know, Nils is going to go off and back to his own career. Um, he's like, I might as well tour this. And so, like, first thing he does is he books the Roxy and he plays it. And there's a great album that's uh, been archivally released called Live at the Roxy, 1973. Uh, it's it's just a stunning live album. I mean, you know, he he opens the shows. He he played like six shows there, and this is a compilation from them. And he opens every show by saying, welcome to Miami Beach, which obviously throws everybody in Los Angeles off a little bit. He's wearing sunglasses on stage. There's a potted palm tree next to him and a big bottle of tequila sitting on top of the piano. These people thought, well, I don't know what they thought. Maybe they thought they were getting harvest or something like that, but when uh you know he just rolls right into tonight's the night and does nothing but play the entire album back to front, um and then tell like really weird and and somewhat strange stories, <laughs> like he, he's really playing up like the drunken decadence on this tour. Uh, and then he's like, "Okay, after having played a couple shows there, what does he do? He goes to England. England's been waiting to hear him for the longest time. He hasn't been to England since 1971. All right. And what does he do for them? He doesn't give them any of that great after the Gold Rusher Harvest material. There's no Southern Man. There's no Alabama. No, it's just an hour and a half of tonight's the night. Hope you enjoy it. And there's a classic. Oh God, it's one of my favorite moments of of live history. You know, he opens the show." By saying, okay, we're going to play our new song, and it's Tonight's the Night. And then all they do for the rest of the show is just play that album, and then they leave stage, and then they come back for the encore. You know, the fans haven't heard a single greatest hit at that point. <laughs> and then Neil Young says, all right. I'm going to play you a song you've heard before. And the crowd goes crazy. Like, yeah, heart of gold. And then what does the band do now? They just roar into tonight's the (laughs) night (laughs) again. and They play it for 25 minutes. (laughs) I have a version of this tonight's night. Part two, the reprise from Chicago of that year where he plays it literally for 35 minutes. That's not hyperbole. That's not one of those tales that grows in the telling or anything like that. He actually played the song for 35 minutes straight. Uh, I don't know what the point he was trying to prove, but when you listen to that song on that live version, it, it's like a really bad audience tape, but it's still harrowing because he goes into this rant right into the middle of it that it, 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 it'll just make your blood run cold where he starts like wailing about Bruce Berry, He's like, Bruce, why did you do it, man? Why did you do it? Where are the guitars, Bruce? Where are the guitars? And he says, Bruce, I know what you did. You took the guitars and you put them in your arm. Yeah. And he just wails about it. And I think Jimmy McDonough wrote about that in Shaky yeah. and like, oh gosh, it's, it's like half drunk, but almost half like almost a, a performance
2: art. It has to be heard to be believed. The, the Roxy show is great because you can hear him. You can hear him just taking the piss out of the audience, he's, he's
0: needling them. Well, the, the line, about, what, two thirds of the way through, he said, you're a great audience. You don't sing very loud, but you're great. And these are people who have not heard a single note of any of the songs he's played th- that night previously. Of course, they're not going to be singing. You know, it's just, it's, it's, it's amazing. why,
2: well, you're a great audience. You don't sing very loud, but you're great. And I have, uh, I have had a similar experience with Neil Young because, as we'll talk about next time, I was at the Greendale tour, uh, is that when
1: the, is that where he debuted that album, like live on the road?
2: Uh, yeah, he he ended up encoring with about five uh, classic quote unquote songs, but he he had the you know the actors behind him with the whole Greendale thing, and he just came out and that's all he did, and the, the audience reaction was was mixed. Little, <laughs> can, so he's he's certainly not a stranger to that idea. He's he's not there for the audience's benefit. He's there for his own benefit.
1: I mean, I I have to say it's one of those things that always goes down like a lead balloon in the moment, but looks like just brilliant artistic genius in retrospect. Once you've become, what once we all know that tonight's the night is a classic. The fact that he went out and he played this an album that not only did he had not been released it, but wouldn't even be released for like two more years. The fact that he just played only that music for the most part you know, you got to salute the stones on this guy. The Moxie to just not care one bit about what the audience has wanted of him. He wanted to do what he needed to do. And I guess that brings us to his next record, which, I mean, I'll put my cards on the table here. I happen to think is the greatest Neil Young album of all time. There would be many, many, many more great Neil Young albums. But, boy, if you have to make me pick one... I'm talking about On the Beach, an album so good that Neil refused to let it be released on CD until 2002. <laughs> Why? I uh, that's cuz he's Neil Young. Mm-hmm. guys uh before i go into a long rapture about this will you have any thoughts to open
2: oh oh god yeah Dude. go, go. <laughs> I, like yourself i'm going to have to edit myself a little bit pick and, a song man pick and, a song and roll and yeah i i didn't I, I never heard an official release of this until i don't know when i picked this up on a on a bootleg copy you know where people would trade cd's on these cd trading trees mm-hmm. where you would copy them and send them to your friends. Yep. Um, that's the first time I, I ever even heard this record. I don't know that I agree with Jeff that it's his best album, but it's unquestionably in my mind, top two or three. Uh, it's certainly the best album that the fewest people have heard and and, and know about. Um, and it's, I think it's undoubtedly the most interesting and the most, and the most fascinating every song just has layers to, to peel away. Um, if, Anybody who's listening to this podcast, if they take nothing away from it, I want them to go listen to On the Beach if they've never heard it. It's, it really is that good. I will start. I have a lot of other things to say, but I'm going to start with something unpopular. I think this is a great record in spite of Walk On, not because of Walk On. Mm. I think it feels very out of place on the album, especially as an opener. Um I sometimes even skip over it and get right to the darker stuff, the moodier stuff with see the sky about to rain and, and going on there. Uh, throughout his career, he, he try he tends to try these bouncy major key numbers and they never quite do it for me. Uh, Neil Young in my mind is a very minor key kind of artist. Um, and I think the songs that, that even stirred up the rivalry between Neil Young and Ronnie Van Zant, of course, that's what the song is about are much better than the song itself about the rivalry Uh, my favorite song about the rivalries in fact um the drive by truckers ronnie and neil um but but that's a conversation for another podcast maybe um but then the next seven songs all hang together in the most perfect way just like i I put it up there with let it bleed automatic for the people the, the great dark records in the history of rock and roll music
3: magic when we played The river boat was rocking in the rain Midnight was the time for the rain Oh Isabella Proud Isabella they tore you down and plowed you under. You're only real with your makeup on. How could I see you and stay too long?
2: We'll go song by song, but I'm gonna let somebody get in a word edgewise first.
1: Well, I just have to point out for one thing that it's probably the most stoned album of the 1970s. And this is the 1970s, mind you, so that is achievement. (laughs) You know, there are a lot of cocaine. I think there's a Fleetwood Mac album there that's probably the most coked out uh, major mainstream album of the 70s. But this is the most high. Uh, This is the one where he's famously uh, him and the band, which is, again, is mostly Crazy Horse um, or, you know, the remainder of Crazy Horse post Danny Whitten plus Ben Keith. Uh, And then actually they get the band's rhythm section in to play on a couple Mm -hmm. of songs as well. Um, But uh, they're experimenting with uh, weed concoctions that will knock you flat on your sorry ass. Uh, Things called honey slides where apparently like, you know, you you combine honey and and, uh, ground up marijuana and then you cook it for a little while. And I don't know exactly what you do. The the recipe, I think, is in shaky. So if you really, really want to go experiment with it and you live in a state where this happens to be legal, then you can find it there. Um, I, I will admit that I did try it once And I couldn't speak for about two hours So <laughs> I don't know how they managed to actually record music <laughs> Under the influence of this
3: While all those people They think they got it made But I wouldn't buy Sell borrow, or trade thing I have to be like one of them I'd rather start all over again
1: Froggy, kind of subdued approach does end up showing up on this music but I think not in a bad way it, it, the second half of this album is, is three songs that are all very subdued in their own different ways but they're also all very different um, and it opens with On the Beach the title track which I think sometimes gets misinterpreted you know you can think of well, when you say the phrase "on the beach," what does it call to mind? Is it that nuclear holocaust film about people waiting in Australia to die from the fifties? No. Um, does it even mean what the title of this song means? No. I think it would. Have, it, it's about the cover of the album where Neil's gone through the darkness and, you know, despite all of the regrets and and you know you know the sadness, he, he's actually on the beach now. He's gotten to the water. He's emerged at the other end of it. So when you hear a song is slow and completely jammed out, it's just electric guitar folk blues uh like on the beach with these lyrics like you know the world is turning i hope it don't turn away or i I went to the radio interview and i ended up alone at the microphone which is funny because of course you're going to be alone at the microphone because they're interviewing you but what he's really talking about is how like i just felt isolated and all of a sudden i had this flash where i was just like my god everybody's alone to name a song that he had written during, you know, these last few years. Um, and then, you know, I I need a crowd of people, but I can't face them day to day. Yeah. Uh, and, and, of course, it's always hilarious to me that they played that song on the Crosby, Stills, and <laughs> Nash Young tour. He didn't tour on the beach. He went up doing CSNY instead, probably because he needed to make some money after all these weird Which albums. I got
2: to say, Stephen Stills' guitar on that, them trading solos back and forth. It's amazing. They, they kill it. They
1: kill it. They kill it. They kill, they kill it. it. They kill it and but it's just so funny to imagine Neil singing to all these like happy hippies in this stadium crowd, and he's like saying, I need a crowd of people, but I don't want to face you day to day. He's just saying straight to your face, I was like, go away. You know, my problems might sound ridiculous, but they're mine and I don't want to talk to you. That's the tone of this album. And I think, you know, people find it sometimes depressing or sodden. I just think it's it's actually in a weird way marvelously uplifting.
3: I need a crowd of people, but I can't face them day to
4: day. I
3: need a crowd of people, but I can't are meaningless, but I don't make them go away, I need a crowd of people, but I can't face them day to day.
0: i love on the beach very quickly in the past two weeks it uh i have no idea where it would end up on a uh, on a favorite album list but it would be it would be on the list uh, uh and I, di- I i like walk on a lot I, I understand tonally it's not it's not quite in line with the rest of the album i'll give you that but it does it does lead off the album so it sort of sets itself apart there i i, I love that beautiful slide that's played there i think the melodies are super strong on on walk on um And On the Beach is beautiful. On the Beach, uh, the song uh, is just beautiful. Just to sort of add on to what Jeff was saying, there's a, uh, you know, the the radio metaphor is so interesting because it is, you know, you're alone at the mic, but what's happening, everyone still hears you, right? I mean, you're alone in the studio, but you're talking to thousands or tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands, just like his music. Uh, He's reaching all these people, and yet is very much, very much alone. And I love the sort of twist uh, at the beginning of the song, you know, uh, uh world is turning. I hope it don't turn away. But by the end, the very end it's, I don't want to see it turn away. Y- maybe you can't stop it at this point, but you don't want to watch it go down. The music on, on the beach is as expressive as anything else. Uh, and that goes for the whole album, but I think specifically on that particular song, it, 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 it really, in and, um, uh, You know, I'd say, you know, ambulance blues too. The music is like this living, breathing thing uh, where it inhales and and exhales as you run through the length of the song. So impressive to hear. Um, For the turnstiles is marvelous. It's just this very simple, it's just Ben Keith and, and Neil Young playing very simple banjo melody. And uh, again, this uh, metaphor with the lyrics on the on sort of the fleeting nature of fame uh, on fans on what they think of you. Well, head for the turnstiles as you begin to play. Uh, in the line, uh, uh, though your confidence might all the, be all the all the bush league matter. batters, yeah.
1: all the bush league batters are left to die on the diamond, and in this in the crowd, the home field scatters for the turnstiles. And, you know, the thing is, you know, the, all the reputation that On the Beach has as being like a very stoned record, um, this is an incredibly tautly calibrated arrangement. It's just Keith on Dobro and Neil on banjo. And uh, they intersect perfectly with one another. And that, that, that ragged harmony is so perfect. You know, that you could really learn a lot that way. Hmm. You know, very hoarse and, and, you know, like harsh. But it. All all of it works. It looks like it was like like one of those weird, like, you know, wood sculptures that are created with a hacksaw. All these rough (laughs) edges around it, but it actually does look like something. It was made by an artist.
3: You can really learn a lot that way. It will change you in the middle of the day. Though you're confident. It doesn't
2: Yeah, it's for, the, more proof that, that he always proves this, that folk music does not have to be soft rock. Hmm. It, it, it can have plenty of edge. Um, but there's one song we haven't talked about yet.
1: Well, there are two, actually. Well, right? Yeah, you're
2: right, there are two. But, but what's but, yours? Well, I'm a fan of Crazy Horse, don't get me wrong. We talked about this last time. Um, but here's a song, Revolution Blues. where he's got Levon Helm and Rick Danko from the band. And my God, listen (laughs) to the difference.
1: David Crosby, who's not known for rocking, but he rocks
2: playing rhythm guitar. Yeah. Yeah. It's not plotting at all. The way crazy horse can be the drum track, particularly just leaps out of the speakers. It might even be a little ahead of the beat, but whatever it is, this song just grooves in a way that Neil's electric songs almost never groove. It's just in a pocket that never stops. Um, And this was right around the time I was thinking about this the other day, that the band uh, toured with Dylan on what would become the Before the Flood live album, Yeah. which makes me – can you imagine if they toured behind Neil? on it? What could have been? Um, The lyrics on this song are maybe five years out of date because it's very much a Manson family thing. Um, But But it's the funniest Manson family thing. I'll give him a pass on that. I I hear that Laurel Canyon is full of famous stars, but I hate them worse than lepers, and I'll kill them in their cars.
1: Oh, but also like yes, yes, that was me with the doves, setting them free near the factory where you build your computer love. I won't deceive you, but I just don't believe it. there's so many great little like 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 kind of pocket rhymes in this song, like you know. Yep. So you be good to me, and I'll be good to you. And in this land of conditions, I'm not above suspicion. I won't attack you, but I won't back you. That's some classic late '60s hippie paranoia right there. <laughs> yep.
0: yep. And yeah, very quickly, the fi- the final verse. Which Jeff just quoted the very end of the uh, Hate Him Worse Than Lepers," but the way that begins, Neil sing Neil singing in this, this very almost dreamy upper register, uh, until those final lines when it gets very real and very raw. It's a wonderful vocal performance, and again, an example of how expressive he can be just by using his voice.
3: something
1: I guess on the end of what I consider to be fairly perfect album, or at least very close to one, uh, he ends with what is again one of the maybe my top three Neil Young songs of all time, one of the three greatest things he ever recorded, and of course I'm talking about "Ambulance Blues," which is you know it's it's different from everything else on this record. It is this long, slow, acoustic, folky dirge. It totally steals from Burt Janch, uh, the song "Needle of Death." Go look it up on YouTube. you hear Janch's original recording. Uh, it's the same. Same line. Doesn't matter. He gets away with it because he injects a different melody into it. And he injects a set of lyrics that are maybe his most mysterious. Uh, you know, what is this song about? Well, Neil himself will actually tell you. It's hard to say the meaning of this song. <laughs> he says it right there in the lyrics. I guess I'll call it sickness gone. It's hard to say the meaning of this song. An ambulance can only go so fast. It's easy to get buried in the past. And so, what is it? I think it's kind of a travelogue of his life. You know, he, mm. it starts with references to the riverboat back in you know, '69. You know, back in the old folky days, the air was magic when we played. And then Isabella, that was a club in Toronto. They tore you down and plowed you under. And then. Uh, there's so many little details in this song that you could focus on and, and try to analyze. You know, There's this great moment where he says, All along the Navajo Trail, this burnout stub, their toes on garbage pails. And as he sings "stubs," he actually like <clears throat> vibrates the bottom string of his guitar. I don't know if it's by accident. I don't know if it's on purpose. But again, it's the perfect sound painting. Uh, and then it goes into these beautiful, simple, instrumental interludes where he's just playing harmonica and rusty kershaw is playing on fiddle and it's nothing complex these aren't like you know virtuoso lines but they're just so sad and plaintive that you don't mind that they don't really like you know do like you know crazy melodic ideas they just sort of let you sit there and think about you know what you're listening to and get list lost in your own thoughts this 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 song covers everything. It even, you know, he has Neil Young spends an entire verse insulting his critics, hmm. where he says like, "All you critics, sit alone. You're no better than me for what you've shown, with your stomach pumping, your hook and ladder dreams. You could get together for some scenes." Um, how does he get away with it? I don't know how he gets away with it. I think he gets away with it by at the end. At the end, he's talking about Nixon. You know, he's like, you know, you're all just, you know, I never knew a man could tell so many lies. He had a different story for every set of eyes. Um, this is a song, lyrically, that is a shaggy dog story in a way. It's not like a tight conceit like Powderfinger uh, or, or even like Walk On, for that matter. And yet it is as epic as Neil Young ever got, and I think that it is very close to being his greatest song.
3: You're all just kissing in the wind You don't know it, but you are There ain't nothing like a friend who can tell you you're just pissing in the wind.
2: I always think about this as akin to Dylan's "Desolation Row." Yeah, a, a, a long uh, album closer, the borderline absurdist lyrics, mm. just goes on and on, verse after verse of, of poetry. Uh, he does this does this a little bit with "Last Trip to Tulsa" on the first solo record, but here he really perfects it.
0: This is, I,
2: I, I agree with you. It was one of my favorite New Young songs.
0: And I don't know, you know, I, for for our forthcoming part three i don't know uh, maybe uh, uh, are you passionate or landing on water will grab me but i find it hard to believe that this uh, by the end won't be my favorite neil young album i, I really became enamored of on the beach in these well you're lucky you weeks.
1: just named two of his worst albums <laughs> so, like, i do not i do not think who you knows for those two <laughs> so the funny thing is is that he didn't tour this album. he did one uh like a famous bootlegged solo acoustic gig I think was at the bottom line in, in New York yeah. um, which apparently is going to be officially released somewhere in the fall which I'm super the, excited the bootleg about.
2: bootleg was always called Citizen Kane Junior, Junior Blues. Blues
1: which is the early title for a song that I would like to discuss because instead of disc- uh, touring on the beach what he did is as I said, I think maybe you know he just decided, oh, screw it. I might as well take the money. You know, maybe maybe he had debts. Maybe he had to worry about you know Zeke's child care or something like that. Uh, he goes, he gets back together with Crosby, Stills, Nash, and Young. Now, of course, they have some abortive attempted recording sessions that joke about CSNY as they'll never get together again until they do it for like a terrible album called American Dream <laughs> in the '80s, which I don't think we'll even discuss. Um so bad. But but they do tour and this is like one of the biggest tours in 70s history they didn't play like you know you know clubs or small arenas even they played stadiums they played like soldier field they played you know rfk stadium they played the biggest venues that any person could conceivably play back in those days. Played Wembley Stadium in England. Um, and of course, there's always been a lot of bad press about this tour. They would say, like, oh, yeah, they couldn't sing, but on stage there's so much cocaine. I think Neil took the call and get the Doom tour. He refused to travel with the rest of the band. He got his own little bus that he would use to travel around. And yet, they finally got around to releasing this big three CD set. CSNY 1974 is the name of it. And I gotta say, like, The music's pretty good. (laughs) Like it holds up pretty well. Um, You know, sometimes you can tell that like they're having trouble hearing themselves when they're harmonizing, but um, for the most part, the musicianship is there. The songs are there, and Neil, like very notably, like debuted like sixteen unheard, unreleased songs, including all the on the beach stuff, which hadn't been played. It hadn't been released at the time. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, that that live version of on the beach that Jeff and I were talking about. Which I'm certain we're going to drop the clip in, but we're going to do it back there. Uh, that's an amazing highlight of this set. Uh, but there's another one uh, that is remains one of his unreleased songs, and that, of course, is pushed it over the edge, or pushed it over the end. Which is a song I think he wrote about Patty Hearst. That's the way I've always read it. You know, you know, was it like you know, good-looking Millie has got a gun in her hands, but she don't know how to use it. You know, Patty Hearst for those who don't remember the 70s like, you know, Scott and I remember because you know we were born in the 70s. Um, no, uh, she was like abducted by the Symbionese Liberation Army and apparently brainwashed. This has always been in dispute. Was she really brainwashed or mm-hmm. did she just go over? And then like the next time she showed up she's like the Hearst heir. She's heiress of the Hearst fortune. And The next time you see her, she's like wearing a beret and wielding an AK-47 robbing a bank on a security camera. And people are like, "What the hell happened to her?" Um, And so it was a famous story in the '70s. Push it over the edge, push it over the end is one of those songs where I always think that Neil Young saved his most experimental tracks for CSNY during this era, like "Country Girl," where he just went to town, like as much production as he could, like you know, let's stack seventy vocals on this thing. Um, Similarly, on "Push It Over the End," this is almost as prog rock as Neil Young would ever get this is a song that twists and it turns and it speeds up and it slows down there are at least four different tempo changes in it there's guitar solos it it runs like seven and a half minutes long I actually think it's one of the great lost Neil Young songs Um, and you know it was supposed to be released on Decade, but then he nixed it at the last minute, and so now the only places that you can find it are if you get this big boxed set, or if you get that CSNY '74 set, which I think is actually worth it, if only for the Neil stuff alone.
3: Yes,
0: you guys talked about that live on the beach from this set but i will just uh emphasize that people should absolutely hear that live on the beach track there's a song that we talked about in the black rose episode my favorite band and it's a, it's a uh it's not an unreleased track because they ended up putting it out eventually but it's called feathers and um i i didn't notice it on the album version but in this live version of on the beach I can really hear some similarities, and Feathers is one of my very favorite Black Crowes songs. It's same sort of loping beat, and the way in this live version, Stills and Young, those guitars just sort of cut through. It's just amazing. And on Feathers, of course, that's Mark Ford playing with Rich Robinson, but I get a very, very similar feel from uh, this live on the beach, especially as I do from one of my favorite Black Rose songs, which is Feathers. So this is a wonderful, wonderful live version of On the Beach. the world is
3: t- I want to see it turn away
1: Any thoughts on the big CSNY jaunt, Jeff?
2: Um, only that they hated it at the time, and they still hate it now, even though as a listener, it's a pretty decent experience. Um, you know, Graham Nash is complaining he had to sing so loud to, to, to be heard that he was sharp all the time, which for somebody like Graham Nash is really going to bother him. <laughs> um, that They were always fighting. Nobody was making any money except for Bill Graham, who booked the tour. Um, I think the number that they, that they threw out there was that Bill Graham made like $11 million and the, the members of the band each made like 300 k um, but, but back to, back to push it over the end for a second. It's almost criminal that people, almost everyone doesn't know this song. Um, and I want to go back to, to sort of a macro point about Neil in this period, which is not going to be the last time I make it. Why couldn't he recognize when he had this great material and why was he so indecisive that he keeps leaving great songs off of albums, ditching entire albums, only to have some of them show up two years later on a different album or 10 years later or 20 years later or never? Um, it, it's it's almost, it's maddening, really. Well,
1: it's, it's part of what was going to become an increasing tick of his... You know his approach to album production. I mean, there is an entire period after the CSNY tour ends in August, where <clears throat> he records at least two full albums worth of material <laughs> that never gets heard. All right, so he does all of these, and these are songs that, like, if you're a Neil, Funk, you're Neil Young super fan and you know, you had the live bootlegs long ago, you knew them from live performances. Songs like "Give Me Strength" or "Love Art Blues." Or uh, you know, you Star of Bethlehem and things like that. Oh,
3: it's hard. better spent searching than in finding and no one seems to
1: know he never put anything out in fact he put together an entire record during this period called Homegrown which is only just released last year all right put together in 1974 Uh, It was released in 2020. Um, And it wasn't just that, like, you know, oh, all these songs got recycled. A couple of them did. I think, like, uh, Deep Forbidden Lake and Star of Bethlehem got recycled, and and they both ended up on uh, Decade as well. The title track was re-recorded. The title track was, like, one of the weakest songs on it, frankly. It's a big stoner jam about, like, homegrown, it's all right (laughs) with me. Homegrown—that's the way it should be. Plant them bells and let it ring. It's so dumb. Like you know, <laughs> you, you throw seeds down and then one day things just start jumping up from the ground. And he's talking about growing marijuana. And you right? can smoke them. You can. Oh, but no, we don't smoke don't, it no right? more. Yeah. Well, <laughs> ac- according according to what Neil says on one of these songs. But the real theme of this album was really about the dissolution of this relationship with Carrie Snodgrass. They had never gotten married. Actually, it had been missing disinformed about this for a long time you know they had a kid together i just assumed they were married no they were just cohabiting um but their relationship was falling apart by now and so there's a ton of songs that are written during this period that are about Neil's increasing sense of distance and isolation, disillusionment with his relationship with her. Uh, One more sign he brings back from the Buffalo Springfield days, but like Frozen Man, give me strength. Bad news comes to town. Don't need to interpret that title. Um, But there are also great ones that, Clearly ones he never released because he knew he couldn't. He felt they were just too personal. I don't think Homegrown, he, this story about Homegrown is that he was going to, you know, he, he put it on a reel and was playing it for his friends. He's like, hey, what do you think of this? This is going to be my new album. And then, uh, unfortunately, on the flip side of that reel was Tonight's the Night. Uh, and then they listened through to both of them and they're like, you know, you're gonna release tonight's the night, uh, and so that's why tonight's the night comes out in
2: 1975. at
1: the beginning, Rick Dango, I believe, was was
2: in that room and was was one of the deciding opinions. Yeah, well, I mean, he was
1: clearly right. I don't think yeah. Homegrown was nearly as good as that album, but it does have a couple of fascinating songs that you just know that the reason they never came out at the time is because they were too personal. There's a song called Vacancy, oh, it's which is fantastic. It's such a fantastic song, but it's so bitter. It's so bitter, he says, like, "I look into your eyes and I just see vacancy." There's just it's a nasty song. And separate ways is a song that he would actually try to come back to again during the Stills Young Band sessions. I think that might even be a superior version, but it's just such a painful song, and it's just about like us. You know, we go our separate ways, but he's talking about like the love. You know, our son that our love created. There's no, there's no artifice here. It's, it's just transparently about his home life. Mm-hmm. So you you know why it didn't come out at the time. I don't know if you guys have an opinion on this sort of famous lost Neil Young record. I
0: think it's two thirds of a pretty darn great album. It's that middle section that I can't really forgive in terms of of making it any uh, any any higher on my on my list. You know, homegrown. Well you, you
1: don't want to run your r- finger no. along the rim of a wine glass and talk about <laughs> you know, hang gliders in Florida.
0: It's not going to be the strangest song we talk about during this episode. But no, I don't like Florida. And then we don't smoke it no more is right there in the middle. But separate ways and love Is a rose, and then try, which again is very. Plainly, patently about, you know, the relationship falling apart with the beautiful Emmylou Harrison vocals. But I mean, darling, the door is open to my heart. I've been hoping you won't be the one to struggle with the key. Uh, We've got a lot of time to get together if we try.
3: I'd like to take a chance But shit, Mary, I can't dance So here's looking up Your old address Molly, what a mess. We gotta take the rest and try. We got lots of time to get together if we try. We got lots of time to get together if we try.
0: And then the, the back end is great, too. A Vacancy, which Jeff just talked about, is really a tremendous song. That one very well could make my top five at the end. Star of Bethlehem would come back later on What Stars and Bars, I think. Um, and then White Line is another really beautiful uh, song. Unsparing and raw. I think Robbie Robertson actually plays on, on, uh, on White Line. And again, it's, it's ostensibly about Kind of finding the open road, the white line in the road, but there are other white That's lines cocaine. that are that are certainly around him at this time. Um, so I mean, my, my takeaway really, and, and a lot of this would be recycled. "Loves of Rose" would show up on "Decade" and um, "Star of Bethlehem" on, on "Stars and Bars," um, but it's really very good, except for that middle section. Um, it's a very good you know album, which again you can find. It's, it's 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 available. It's released. It's out as of last year. You can find "Homegrown."
2: Yeah, generally speaking, there's a lot of place name songs in this period of his career, and those are often best avoided. Uh, Florida, Kansas, Mexico. He's got one in there that wasn't released called Hawaii and Hawaiian uh, Sunrise. There's and a Hawaii, lot of ha-
1: yeah, he really he was really in a Hawaii kick at that yeah, time.
2: Neither neither one of them are all that good. Um, White Line is one of those songs that he got indecisive with, like a lot of songs in this period. There's There might be an acoustic solo version. There might be an acoustic band version. There's an electric version. Uh, This is one of those where it's going to show up as a full electric version in 1990 on Ragged Glory, um, which is probably a superior version, but it's a damn good song here as well.
3: You were my raft and I let you slide. It seemed like such a long, easy ride. I was adrift on a river of pride. Feels like a railroad. I pull a whole load behind me. That old white line is a friend of mine. And it's good times that we've been making. Right now things
2: that I know. Uh, that overall, I, I can't say, the, the, the albums like Chrome Dreams, which we're going to talk about, and Hitchhiker, which we'll talk about, they come to mind where you wonder, well, okay, why, why doesn't he just release it? I, I can't really say that about Homegrown. I think he made the hmm. right call here. Um, the, the stronger stuff is going to wind up on later releases, Stars and Bars, Ragged Glory. Uh, but the rest of it, to Scott's point, just isn't that remarkable, at least by his very lofty standards in this in this period. Uh, the songs that I feel most inclined to discuss are going to be ones that are on, that show up anyway on later albums.
0: I'll just I, disagree very quickly with. Uh, I, I think Homegrown is more releasable than, say, Hitchhiker, and as we'll talk about in a few albums, I think Hitchhiker doesn't hold together quite as well as Homegrown would if it w- you know if it were an official. Release uh, on the on the on the line of continuity through the '70s. I think Homegrown actually would have been, again, a pretty darn good album, except for the middle. I'm not as sold on Hitchhiker, but we'll talk about that in a bit.
1: I mean, one thing that sort of emphasizes about this is kind of a hilariously telling anecdote about the indecisiveness of Neil Young during this period is that there's a song he wrote from this period called "Love Art Blues." I've got the Love Art Blues. I, I have these two great things, and I have to choose between them you know he's obviously talking about like I gotta go out on tour and you know, commit to my music and then I have my wife or my partner and my kids he recorded four separate versions of it <laughs> all right and after all of that it was never released four different versions now are available including a live one from the CSNY tour. And here's the kicker. It's not a good song. <laughs> I don't like it. I don't feel we need to excerpt it. Because it's just like one of those sort of adequate kind of like folk numbers. You know, the lyric is is just so obviously on the nose. But like this is the sort of like – place he was going to he he, he was like sort of st- he probably sort of building his archive stockpiling the vaults he was recording at home for the most part so i guess that 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 leads to a certain i guess approach as opposed to like when you gather the band together and you go into a studio and you have time to do an album then you just do it in those dates and that actually i think explains to me why his next record had so much more focus um and his next record is the big return of crazy horse and and, and it's not just you know billy Talbot and ralph Moreno no this is an actual new crazy horse because what happens they find a new rhythm guitarist a guy by the name of poncho frank san pedro his nickname is poncho and he completes the new crazy horse lineup and to this day you know, that's the crazy horse lineup, the classic one. Um, and they record an album. They knock this sucker out in just like uh, two or three sessions. This is classic Neil, right? He says, yeah, do a little rehearsal, but let's not overthink it. And boy, you know, could that be a d- recipe for disaster? No, it's a recipe for genius. Because Zuma is one of the least over-worried, worried, overthought, overconsidered albums of Neil's career. Everything on this is genuinely joyful, uh, and also menacing. There's a lot of darkness and weirdness on it, but there isn't a single song on this record—not one, not even the the Crosby, Stills, Nash and Young song that he stole from them and put on the end of this album. I wouldn't change a note of Zuma. Zuma, this run from "Time Fades Away" to "Tonight's the Night" to "On the Beach" to Zuma, to me, it's just in in. in arguably his greatest period. What do you think about the big rock comeback for Neil?
2: Unlike Tonight's Tonight and even On the Beach, this album sounds like one band recording in one place at one time. It is it's cohesive front to back. It's got a sound. It sticks to it. It's really, really to its credit. Uh, it's, really, it's one of Crazy Horse's finest hours, too. Uh, which was not a guarantee to begin with because you take these musicians that aren't very skilled to begin with and you give them cases of tequila and mountains of cocaine and take your chances. Um, but damned if it doesn't work. Uh, it's like you were saying, it's uplifting. The band sounds reinvigorated, like they're happy to be there. Um, they're still high and drunk, but at least they're happy now, it seems like. Um, they're mostly even on the beat throughout throughout the, the the album. It's loud. It's raucous. Um, However, the one that I'll call the first song that I want to call out because the album is so loud and raucous, the song I want to call out is the one that isn't, which is Pardon My Heart, um, which is, I think, one of his best moments in the singer songwriter vein, his singer songwriter persona. Not only would Pardon My Heart fit in on Harvest or Harvest Moon or Silver and Gold or his other acoustic records, it would stand out on any of those records. The harmonies um, and the chorus are really what killed uh, it for me, yeah. Right. It's a song you got it a, all wrong, yeah. It, it deserves more renown and I think that probably starts with with Neil himself, because I can't for the life of me figure out why this song hasn't been a live staple of his for the last 30 years, but hey, that's who, who's, who's to say? Pardon my heart If I show that
3: I care But I love you more than moments we have or have not shared
0: Jeff stole my big thought, which is Pardon My Heart. Uh, It's great. I I, I, I was mowing the lawn and had to stop mowing the lawn and message Jeff at the exact moment I heard Pardon My Heart because it really blew me away. took my breath away. Pardon My Heart is just a fantastic song. What I noticed from the very beginning, or from the first time I heard it, is how, I mean, it's an acoustic-based number, but there's this electric guitar that creeps in. It starts way down low, and it's you know, barely perceptible. It's in the background, and 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 then it and then it becomes more prominent through the course of the song. That's a wonderful arrangement choice. I just love that so much. Uh, and, and there's some there's wonderful lyrics. That last verse is heartbreaking. Pardon my heart if I showed that I cared, but I love you more than moments we have or have not shared. Uh, this is absolutely going to be on the songs I recommend in, 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 at the end of the show. And yeah, I think it's one of the finest moments of this era, absolutely, pardon my heart, is is, is wonderful. Uh, the rest of this album is really great too, and I know that there are two big numbers that everyone, well, I'm, I'm projecting a bit. Everyone, a number of people had said their favorite Neil Young song is Cortez the Killer. That's here, at a danger. So, so what do we think about Neil Young, the uh, uh, Mesoamerican historian? <laughs> 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 That's actually, that is actually not one of my favorite moments on the record. I mean, I, I, I like it. It's, it's fine. Uh, you know, the, has got about three and a half minutes worth of intro before you get to the lyrics on that one on the 16th century conquering of Mexico by Spain. Um, but I like, uh, don't cry no tears. The, the first uh, song on the record that, that, yeah. b- the big major chord riffs uh, that sort of announce a crazy horse uh, drive back which uh, is very funky, stonesy rock featuring a cowbell prominently. Um, You know, drive back to your old town. I want to wake up with no one around. Simple driving uh, beat on drive back. That's one of my favorite moments on the record. (laughs) Um, And and Jeff Loves Barstool Blues, which is another great song. You really can't pick a... Jeff said, don't take anything off. It's true, though. There's nothing really you point to on Zoom and say, you know, another take might have been better or leave this off. Uh, It's a great rock record. and I mean, obviously, yes, but it does remind me a lot of um, the last Crazy Horse record he did, Uh, even though there's new Personnel. But that sense that some of the arrangements are there as canvases for the jams, for the experimentation, for the guitar solos, the really great guitar solos on Danger Bird, which I think Lou Reed said were his favorite guitars he ever heard recorded on Danger Bird. Same thing with Cortez the Killer, the way those guitars uh, interlace and and, and play together. It's a really, really well done album. I just mentioned very briefly, you know, some of these albums have been buried, were buried for a long, long time. It's not as if they stiff, right? I mean, Zuma, I think, went to 25. A lot of these albums were somewhere in the mid-20s. Some of these records, they weren't number ones, but they were still selling. They were still finding an audience, which kind of frustrates me that they were unavailable for many of us for so long. If I had heard On the Beach 20 years ago, I think I would have embraced it at that point, but it was just not available to most of of the listening audience.
1: I think it's funny that we we are all talking about different songs on Zuma. You mentioned a couple of mine, but Drive Back. Um what I like about that is that that's a that's a super dark and selfish song. Mm-hmm. When you listen. To. First, it's got just an incredible riff. Do do. You know. That's a classic riff right there, but then when you get to those lyrics, but the chorus is you won't know me, I won't call you. I won't be there to remind you what you told me when I showed you in the morning. Just let me know you'll drive back to your old town because I want to wake up with no one around. It's like the so selfish possible take on a one night stand. It's like, yeah, we whatever gets you through the night. That's all right with me. Uh, when I have when it's time to get say goodbye, I have to make you see that you don't know me. That is oh, that is just so dark and then it pairs so well with stupid girl, which is the there are many songs written with the title Stupid Girl. This one is far better than the Rolling Stones. One. I, I was right? going to
2: ask for a spot poll on that and which, <clears> and which <throat> one we would uh, we would vote I, up.
1: I will take this one every time. I would, time too.
2: Because it's the, the
1: real weird keening high will. He, he, he doubles his vocals, right? So he sings in one octave, you're a stupid girl. And then on the high part, you're a stupid girl. And it's like really ominous sound. You've really got a lot to learn. You start living again. What is she How does he describe her? She's like, you're a beautiful fish flopping on the summer sand looking for the wave that you missed. You're so stupid, girl. There's, some, there's a nastiness to that song. You're
3: such a beautiful fish flopping on the summer sand Looking for the wave you missed when another one is close at hand You're such a stupid girl You're such a stupid girl
1: but the music is just so perfectly ominous and it also isn't fast there's no fast songs on this album I mean the closest it comes is to something like Barstool blues which is I think it's probably my favorite song on this record Barstool blues though is like like a really you know awesome hot rod pimped out cherried out hot rod that is just driving 45 miles an hour because it's not going fast that's the thing that you listen to it it almost just seems like it's like just sort of you know, blowing through really slowly down the road. You mean it's Joe Biden driving his Camaro? Joe Biden driving <laughs> his Camaro, Jeff. That is a great analogy. You know, but like it sounds like a song, it's a song almost like. About a guy who's like clinging to his bottle, which is the only thing that keeps him moored to his bar stool. You know, otherwise he would fall right off the ass end of it and land on the floor and end up kind of like the cover of American Stars and Bars for that matter. <laughs> um, you know, where this Neil Young's face is planted on the ground. Um, at the, but you know, you know, and just the just glorious guitar tone that Neil gets, and then he just sings and like, "If I could hold on for just one thought for long enough to know." The lyrics are actually surprisingly literate. I've seen you in the movies and in those magazines at night. Saw you on the bar stool when you held that glass so tight, and I'll see you in my nightmares and I'll see you in my dreams. And I might live a thousand years before I know what all that means. It's just so great. And it actually, as the how do you end a song like that? It just kind of just sort of quietly peters out but comes to a full conclusion. I think it, this one makes my top five at the end. This is like secretly one of Neil Young's greatest songs. I don't think he's played it more than three times in his entire career live.
3: Once there was a-
1: I still find it funny that we really haven't discussed the most famous song on this record, which, of course, is Neil Young's uh, you know, master's thesis on uh, the Spanish invasion of Middle America and the conquest of the Aztec Empire, Cortez the Killer. Now, I know you guys mentioned a couple of things in passing, but we certainly can't let this album go without discussing it. What do we think about this song? And let's set aside the fact that Hate was indeed not just a legend. And it is not true that war was never known. And people did not willingly give their lives to sacrifice. <laughs> and a hundred other things that you could criticize about the history of Cortez the Killer. Who cares about it? It's a stoned reverie. It's Neil Young High thinking that I know my girl is living there and I know she waits for me. At the end, that's really what it's about. Um the guitar for me on that is, again, one of his greatest and most emotive guitar solos ever. It's kind of like when I got Decade, this song was right near the end of the album, uh, the end of that, that compilation, and it sold me on like Neil Young guitarist.
2: Yeah, and I also like the way that uh, this song and Danger Bird sort of work as companion pieces on, e- on either side of the album. Uh, Danger Bird is sort of has very much this kind of vibe chord progression is very similar too. Right. And then you get to Cortez and it sort of is an improvement upon, upon Danger Bird. Right. Uh, I don't know that, they, that he had to include both of those songs, but I think the album works nevertheless. And I- tick off a lot of jam bands who have covered this too. Um, you know, I've seen Government Mule cover this. All, all kinds of people. It's it's turned into a it's a standard among among certain kind of kinds of bands and certain kinds of musicians. I think Built
1: to Spill did a really good yeah. version of yes. it as well. Yeah, that, yeah, yep,
2: that makes sense. Sure. Yeah.
1: I mean, that was a, in one of those great kind of mid '90s uh, jammy kind of uh, guitar bands that nobody remembers anymore, but they had talent. You should go check them out. Go, go check out Perfect from now on and keep it like a secret. But, you know, so, yeah, this is Neil Young back in his rock mode. And, and you just when you think he's gotten his footing, what happens? Of course, uh, he then again falls into indecisiveness. He was already indecisive during these sessions, I might point out. It's amazing to find out with the release of the archive set how many songs that would show up later on Russ Never Sleeps, which is the, the next official Crazy Horse album, were originally debuted here ride my llama which i always have to pronounce the way he sings it ride my <laughs> yeah. llama all right because you yarn. have
2: to ride it with Texarkana, that's why
1: from peru to Texarkana, right did that did pocahontas did Powderfinger? a lot of those songs were actually done as early as 1975 but didn't just set aside so what does he do he just goes back into another spate of recording you know um you know pulls out songs that we won't see until 1990 or 89 or thereabouts like too far gone Um, you know no one seems to know a beautiful lost piano ballad from that era homegrown like a hurricane which is of course a famous song but you don't it's going to be two years until it's ever released Uh, stuff that will only come out on comes a time and then what does he decide to do decides to get back together with Stephen Stills of all people a guy who was kind of famously hard to love But Neil and him just seem to have a vibe together no matter what. I mean, Neil's an irascible character, or maybe he appreciates the fact that the only other person who could conceivably get along with Stephen Stills for any amount of time (laughs) is him. Um, And so they put together the Stills Young Band, and they record and release an album called Long May You Run. Um, And then they actually go on a tour, which ends in a hilarious way that I'll get to in a moment. But here's the interesting thing about this album. When I got it, it was like one of the last Neil Young albums from the '70s era that I got. Because why should I? It's a Still's Young band, and I don't give a crap about Stephen Still stuff. And I don't like. I've listened to it. It ain't good. I'm just not into it. You know, he, he didn't have the juice anymore. Uh, Neil's stuff is also largely weak. But the strange thing about it is that he, as we find out now, he recorded a lot of excellent stuff for these sessions that he did not allow to be released before I talk about the actual album I want to talk about two things that weren't released for it. the first is separate ways I mentioned it earlier, it was supposed to be on Homegrown uh, Was obviously that album was never released they tried it again for this and it's a staggering performance, complete with like this wild organ solo that turns it into this bl- bl- smoldering sad, torchy, bluesy kind of a thing Um, this is one of the greatest unreleased Neil Young songs of all time. And I'm convinced that either he didn't want to commit a song this good to a a project that he thought might be sort of a toss-off, or he was still reluctant to release it because he thought it was too personal. soon. The other one I just want to mention um, is a song called "Traces." It dates back all the way to 1973. There's a great acoustic version of it on this set. He played it live with CSNY, and then they did this this really kind of rocked up version with the Stills Young Band. That I just think is really good, really solid. And the song itself has just got real good bones. You know, it's got a real solid riff that you really there's nothing you can do to destroy it. Um, these are all great. As for the album itself. I don't know. What was it you said about Midnight on the Bay, Scott?
0: Oh, yes. Midnight on the Bay is Neil Young doing America doing Neil Young. Yeah. It's <laughs> Neil Young thrice removed. <laughs> it's not good. It's 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 very no. kind of
1: like stoned, lazy, hippie. That's why I feel like, gosh, I feel like it was an intentional move. The one song everyone here knows is Long May You Run, which is a great song. It's a song Neil Yote wrote as a tribute to his car. You know uh, you know long may you run maybe the Beach Boys have you now in the surf singing Caroline and then you know you hear CSNY in the background singing oh Caroline no it's a really beautiful song uh, but it's also kind of a light-hearted song It's not a really serious one.
3: Maybe the Beach Boys have got you now with those waves singing Caroline Rollin'
1: know if there's really anything else much here that, that that stands up.
2: No. Uh Fountain Blue I kinda like. Yeah sure. That's as, all right it's just a, a fuzzy uh spaced out guitar song. About the hotel uh, in Miami. Yeah. They were recording, yeah. Sure. Uh I agree with you though. Again, why traces in separate ways don't get on this record, I have no idea, much less String Man, which is written in this period and is mo- by most accounts about Steven Stills himself. Yes. Well, I had to wait till uh, I think the Unplugged record Unplugged. in 93 before I ever knew that Stringman existed. And it's a beautiful song. I, I wish I had heard it sooner.
1: And that's, you know, he, he the version that's a sort of the official version was a hybrid. It's kind of what he would start experimenting with during the second part of the 70s, where he would take a track that was recorded live and then he would sort of you know, start overdubbing it, put backing vocals on it, put an extra guitar on it, strip away the audience new noise or anything like that. And that's the version of Stringman that was kind of like a famous bootleg for a long time. And we talked about this song already on our Patreon-only uh, episode about tribute songs. And I said, one of the reasons that I find String Man so kind of moving is because it's a tribute to a person who is really difficult to like as I just talked about Stephen stills sort of a kind of a punchline in the musical press and whatnot. And, you know, he's obviously has his Coke problems and boy, again, you got to go read shaky for some hilarious stories about Stephen stills during the CSNY tour when they're like on airplanes and he's like demanding to fly the plane. Uh, And he's like saying like, you know, you can trust me. I'm actually, you know, an ex military man. I served in Vietnam. Like how many, how many drugs does a man have to be on to start making crazy claims like that? Sure. But then you hear Neil talk about how he say you can say that the soul is gone and the feeling isn't there, but he disagrees. You know, he says like, no, I I don't believe that. You know, and at the end he ends by saying, I'm singing for the string man who lately lost his wife. There is no better friend of mine that I have in this life. That's boy, you know, if you're gonna write a song about a person, pay a tribute to him. You can't really get much higher tribute than that, especially from a man who's famously known for not liking people.
3: not there Not like it was So long ago On the empty page Before you You can fill in What you care But try to make it new Before you go, take the simple case of the Sarge, who can't go back to war, cause the hippies tore down everything that he was fighting for.
0: So are we we, we then supposed to... uh Surmise that the other songs that he writes dumping on c s n and y are mainly about c and n
1: well certainly about C. <laughs> I don't think... i was i just watched an interview recently on c b s about the fiftieth anniversary of deja vu and they interviewed crosby stills and Nash and you know, They pointed out, like, nobody talks to Crosby anymore. And Crosby <laughs> was there saying, like, yeah, Neil and I were never going to speak. In. And he's like, why? Because I, like, I said something bad about his girlfriend. Yeah. Just Daryl Hannah. And he, was, he, was, he, was, he was, it's hilarious because you can hear him. He sits there. And he's, like, saying, I was like, well, I mean, what, and then he just says, no, don't say it, David. Don't say it. He actually catches himself. He's like, no, nah, I'm going to just say something that will piss more people off. So, yeah, th- these guys famously never quite got along. And, of course, everyone had their drug problems and their ego problems and all of that. But, of course, set aside all of that. Because before we get on to the next official Neil Young album, we have one of these unreleased Neil albums that just came out recently. And I am going to tell you right now I have always been a little bit skeptical of the idea that this was ever truly intended to be a Neil Young album. This is called Hitchhiker. And it was basically him recording in a studio demos of, like, 10, 11 songs. And almost all these were, like, old songs. And so on the archives, you have earlier versions of them. And he just sits there in a studio and he records all of them, you know, playing on his acoustic guitar. Um, One of them eventually came out on Decade. And that was one of the only new songs. And I think the best song on the album called Campaigner. But I don't know if you guys have any strong thoughts about uh, this. I do want to praise Campaigner because I think that that's a, a truly glorious song.
2: Even Richard Nixon has got soul. <laughs> See, empathy, man. Neil Young still
1: has empathy. This guy goes from, uh, you know, 10 soldiers and Nixon coming. We're finally on our own to like – I think the story is that he watched Nixon like like walking out of the hospital – you know, where Pat Nixon, his wife had been committed because there had been like a pill issues, drug issues, and so she was like, you know, under observance or in rehab or something like that. And you know, when he walked out, and he, he could see him like wiping his eyes, he had tears in his eyes, and all of a sudden he thought, well, well God, like maybe even the person who I've demonized as the worst human being on the planet is also a human being, which I, you know, I, I'm impressed that you know, you know, Neil was able to sort of take that step back and say, well. Maybe even Richard Nixon has got soul. And it's a great song. And it's the reason it's the penultimate song on Decade. It's a great way to close the album out.
3: Hospitals have made him cry. But there's always a freeway in his eye. Though his beach just got too crowded for a stroll. That's so
2: The lineup of songs on Hitchhiker is, is is tough to argue with. These are these are some of his great songs from the '70s, but uh, I think the record company told him not to release it because it sounded more like a, a collection of demos rather than actual songs. And he said, "No, go go out with a band and actually put some arrangements behind these, and then we'll talk." So so he didn't, and that is the problem here: is the production or lack thereof.
1: Right, and so like Pocahontas, Powder, Pocahontas, Powderfinger, um, Ride My Llama, which I'm always gonna say like that, by the way. Um, those all came back, you know, obviously on Russ Never Sleeps in different arrangements. Captain Kennedy would show up. Jesus, I think it was on um, Hawks and Doves, you know, much later, 1980 um campaigner on decade human highway on comes a time old country waltz re-recorded for american stars and bars like Mm -hmm. all of these songs got the only one really that never got recycled was hitchhiker and the reason that song didn't get recycled because it's about him talking about all his drug habits
2: (laughs) oh that did get recycled on lay noise
1: oh no you're right i haven't listened to that album in so long and that was what two two thousand seven two thousand and seven or, so? or eight. You're yeah. right. It's been so long since I've listened to. Yes, one of those things I have to catch up on for. Daniel Lenoir
2: has him redo it with um, solo electric guitar, and it works. It's it, I think it. I think it's great.
1: It is, but like the the thing is, is like you're gonna understand why he wasn't releasing that one at the time. He's talking about like, yeah, you know, I did all the pills when I was with the Springfield in the sixties, and then the weed, and then the tequila, and then oh yeah, that cocaine. It really helps rub the blues away. I was just like. Yeah, no, nah. This isn't marketable, Neil. This is not marketable. <laughs> you know, in, in two thousand and eight, it's you know, a little different story. But yeah, Scott, you any thoughts on this? I
0: just, you know, I just mentioned earlier. I, 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 kind of thinking along Jeff's line. I, I don't know if it were really meant for release. Part of it is because, or part of the reason I think that is because it had been stripped so mightily uh, for use on later records. There was no intention. It appeared on. Young's behalf to sort of keep it as a as a unit. Uh, things were used later. Um, some of this stuff is is clearly go- Pocahontas was going to resurface very, very quickly. Uh, campaigner again here. Uh, old Country Waltz I, I like uh, from here as well. I actually, but pre- I,
1: I actually prefer this version, which is just him on a piano, and I, uh, I like Veronica. that.
0: Yeah, real simple melody. I like it uh, a lot here too.
3: This old music has kept me on top when you're down, it's a hard thing to stop. I don't need no excuses. I just want to play that good old country wall. And I'm playing it, that old country wall.
0: It's very breezy, if you can call that about a Neil Young album. Um, but it does sound to me... I understand the label's point of view. I understand the label saying, you know, these really sound like demos. And not... You know, On the Beach famously, that that's just a very rough mix, right? There was no sort of mastering with On the Beach. Uh, Hitchhiker, though, it, it to me, sounds demo-y. And they were used as... I mean, they were, well, some of these were in, in the same version later on, I guess. But a lot of these were u- used as demos. They were redone. They were... You know, the bands were added to uh, to the mix uh, down the line, so I'm not sure I feel like I can sort of grade this uh, uh, as a, as a unit. Uh, even though it was, I mean, it was released in '17 as, as as an album album through Neil Young's place, but I think um, it, it's hard for me to say it's 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 a great record. It's hard for me to say it's even really intended to be something that, that was that was going to stay intact
1: yeah i mean the thing is before we move forward i also want to point out that 1976 which is the year that we are in right now in terms of recording is in my opinion the greatest year for neil young's live performance career ever there are a lot of competitors i I say the harvest tour on 73 say tonight's the night in like late 73 you know in september and october I would say, you know, you could talk about like the Ark Weld tour in '91 when he was touring Freedom and Ragged Glory. Lots of great live Neil. There's even a fantastic, we'll we'll talk about it on the next episode, fantastic compilation he released of like, you know, his lost era in '84, '85, where he's playing like the International Harvesters country music called A Treasure. It'll blow the top of your head off. It's so good. Um, However, 1976 classic Neil was great he did two separate tours in March of that year he played both America and Japan Um, you know in America he also Great Britain for that matter Um, those Japanese shows are some of the best I included several tracks from them in our first episode on our intro section Figuring that no one would really know unless they were a true psychopathically <laughs> hardcore Neil Young fan. You know, I, I did that, The, the Mellow My Mind, which I think is just the most perfect recording of that song ever. Um, and I also Country Home, a song that would not resurface until 1990. It was Ragged Glory. Um, and it's better in 1976. But then he went back out on the road again in November and he played mostly America. He played like, you know, the Palladium. He played New York. and He played all up and down play Texas. Uh, that was, he had, the sets were divided. It was a Crazy Horse show, but the first part, first set was an acoustic piano, you know, like classic early 70s Neil Young style. Second part was, you know, Crazy Horse just jamming out. There are a lot of official releases. Never entirely convinced the official releases capture this, even on the box set, that Odeon Budokan uh, disc 10 of the Neil Young archives volume two. It's very skimpy doesn't really do the whole experience justice then you have songs for judy which is from the later era from november which is just his acoustic sets and it's mostly greatest hits kind of stuff but it's all well performed and pretty funny too um the bootlegs from this era are just surpassingly good and uh this is his greatest live period Again, the the period of his greatest indecision. He has so many more lost albums. There's there's another lost album, which I regret infinitely, only informing Scott of this morning before we (laughs) were recording the show. But thankfully, my brother in arms, Jeff, has been well aware of it for years, and that is called Chrome Dream. This was another one of these things. He's just thinking about what do I go next? What do I do? What do I do? What do I do? And so this is a much this is the opposite of Hitchhiker. This is a much more electrified album. There's some of those acoustic tracks that are actually still on it, but this is like you know you've got like a hardcore Crazy Horse version of White Lines. You've got a hardcore Crazy version studio Crazy Horse version of a Sedan Delivery, which will of course be seeing on Rust Never Sleeps. String Man is in there. There's a lot of great lost tracks on this that again would all be shelved and you wouldn't hear about them until decades later when they seeped out from the vaults and presumably some of this will be included on the next archives box set but since scott i know you don't have anything really intelligent to say about this i'm gonna ask jeff what do you think about chrome dreams the last thankfully of the lost neil young albums from the 70s we have to discuss
2: it's kind of a dry run for Russ never sleeps, isn't it? Where you've yeah. got uh, a little bit acoustic, a little bit electric. It's sort of divided half and half. And, but a lot of these unreleased albums or lost albums during this time. At a certain point, it just becomes about sequencing. There, most of these songs are going to see the light of day somewhere, but it's a matter of a, what recording he picks uh, or what version he picks and, and B what order he's going to put them in, in the album. Uh, so by the time we get to Chrome Dreams, once you're familiar with Homegrown and Hitchhiker and, and everything else of this period, uh, you've got a lot of the material. When I first heard it, which was probably in 1998 and whatever, whenever I got the bootleg, no, I hadn't heard a lot, a lot of this material and it was it was revelatory. <laughs> I would maybe point to a song like uh, "Homegrown." Here's a little bit of a different mix. Um, "Pocahontas" it's is a total,
1: actually a totally different recording from the from the original one that's on the "Homegrown" album. They, this is one with Crazy Horse, and it's a little bit it's a little bit better, I'd say, but it's still a stupid song. Yes,
2: <laughs> <laughs> uh, "Pocahontas" is largely the same as on "Russ Never Sleeps," but it's got fewer overdubs. It's 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 more raw with just with just Neels. Um, Hold back the tears is a lot different than the one on American Stars and Bars, um, but it, it at this point it is sort of a, of, a, of, a, of a for for completists only because you can get this material in a lot of other places now where you couldn't twenty years ago.
1: And so the ni- the year nineteen seventy six ends, and to end that year, what Neil Young wanted to do was release a giant sort of retrospective, a compilation album called Decade. It was going to be three LPs long, a three-record set for a guy who'd only had kind of marginal sales aside from Harvest, which is interesting that Reprise was going to let him get away with doing this. He assembles it. He puts it together. He writes the liner notes. He submits it to the label. It's about to come out. And then, no! No, stop what you're doing because Neil Young yanks it back and says, screw it. We're not releasing our greatest hits compilation. I'm going to release a new album Here. Here, have American Stars and Bars, which I got to tell you, to me is the first major flop of the Neil Young discography. There are some good songs on this. Man, they're minor pleasures at best. I even have to be the guy who has that hot take and say that I Like a Hurricane is the reason he wanted to pull Decade, because he wanted to release American Stars and Bars first, and then have that song available to put on the compilation album. But I don't like this studio version of Like a Hurricane. I think it's slow. I think it's a little plodding. It's one of the very few times where I listen to the Crazy Horse rhythm section. And I just think to myself, my God, why is Levon Helm not here? I can't, can't we find some? can't get get Kenny Butchery, please. This is not working. I don't like the studio version of Like a Hurricane, even though I love the guitar and the song itself is solid as hell. First half of this is basically crazy horse rhythm section backed up with Nicolette Larson, um, era, and also I think Emily Lou Harris, you know, doing in country music doing Linda the Ronstadt con- shows. Up Linda too. Ronstadt singing back in vocals. And you know what? I listened to it again this morning for the first time in a long time. And you know, it's actually not as bad as I had thought. I kind of like hold back the tears, it's, you know. Old country waltz this is a good song in its basic form. Bite the bullet is kind of fun, but you know, ultimately, this is a weird album uh, that it, it, it where like the seams really began to show in the way that Young likes to assemble records during this period with like tracks from different times and different places. You know, he has he he, he puts. Like a Hurricane in between a song about him sitting by the (laughs) fireside, jerking it, thinking about the spawning habits of salmon swimming upstream. And then, then on the back end of Like a Hurricane, there's Homegrown talking about, like, let's grow our own weed and get high, everybody. It's hard to take this record too seriously. I don't know. It seemed to get decent reviews back in the day, but I've never understood uh, why he released it like this, and especially why he's like, we've got to hold off on Decade for this. we got to make sure <laughs> this comes out first. What do you guys think?
0: I like it more than you do. It um, so probably is because, for two reasons, I guess. One is I, I, I don't mind this album version of Like a Hurricane. And two is I actually kind of dig that first side. Uh, it, it, it's not legendary stuff, but I think it's good. I I like Saddle Up Palomito, frankly. Um, it's got charm to it. Uh, Hey Babe, I, I like the way that Talbot's bass just sort of clomps along, setting the pace. Really nice steel guitar from Ben Keith, who's back again. Um, Bite the Bullet is interesting in that uh, what it sounds to me like is, is Skinner. It sounds like Skinner, like the Hoggetts, uh, w- which they were featuring right around this very same time.
3: And at the top of the Bite the Bullet. You know she knows what it's all about. Bite the Bullet. Good old boys are coming from miles around. When I the bullet,
1: the it's actually my favorite song on the record. I think. Bite yeah. the
0: bullet. Yeah, it, it's a good one. Um, and you know, and then at least one. Well, I, I guess half of side two because I do like like a hurricane. Uh, Will to love. I uh, see. I thought. I thought. I, I did think. Will to love would be one of those strange songs that Jeff would have some defense for because Jeff's weird that way sometimes. Uh, but it's not
1: okay. You know what? Listen. <laughs> the, the, okay. Now, son of a bitch, Scott. Now you're gonna make me defend it. Okay. <laughs> I, I like the melody. The. Ba, 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 ba. You know what else I like? I like the fact that you can hear the crackling of, of the, the fireplace. fireplace in the yeah. background. Yeah. And then there's also the, the little pings on, like you know, the xylophone that sort of are obviously overdubbed in the background. Like it's a it's it's for seven and a half minutes or however long it is it's a moody moody little track but it's just every time you used to think about like i've got the will to love and he's talking about being a salmon swimming upstream to have sex with other fish oh man <laughs> it's just like the ridiculousness of the <laughs> conceit sometimes <laughs> just overcomes you and then you're defeated by it like
3: an ocean fish who swam up.
0: The like, this, like the
2: cicadas out in my yard right now. <laughs> they've got the will to love and they, they've got the see, will to love.
1: You'll They're see them, and you'll see them 17 years from now.
2: Yep. I was gonna do this out on the back porch, but I couldn't because they had not officially <laughs> gotten too loud. It would have bled into the microphone. Um this I agree with, with Jeff that this is a little bit too much of a hodgepodge. It's got two songs from Homegrown or the three that were gonna be that were gonna be on Chrome Dreams and got shelved from that. And I agree also that the definitive version of Like a Hurricane, I think, is on live rust. It's not here, uh, or any live version pretty much is superior to this version. Think you can make the argument that this might be his purest uh country fried rock album ever i mean you've, you've got crazy horse but with ben keith and with nicolette larson Lou harris and linda ronstadt they've got plenty of country rock chops there that's so a the, band with a lot of potential that's it the is thing. you know the, the personnel alone uh yeah old country waltz i think works. settled the palomino is fun um I, I think this where whereas Long May You Run is rightfully overlooked, I think this one is a little unfairly overlooked, sandwiched as it is between that period between Tonight's the Night and uh, and Russ Never Sleeps. Yeah, I, I it's not my favorite al- new young album by any stretch, but but I do like it just fine.
1: I mean I think one other thing to point out about it that this is the album where Star of Bethlehem finally got released. And mm-hmm. and I and I love that that has Emmylou Lou Harris on the backing vocals, which just, her voice is just Beautiful. One of the most beautiful country vocalists of all time, frankly. And um, you know, we talked about it a little bit before because of course it was on homegrown, but it's a beautiful you know, quiet folk song that's also really dark. You know, at the end, what's the ending line? You know, maybe the star of Bethlehem wasn't a star at all. Like maybe I thought I was following, you know, my true beacon, my true love, but I was deceived. Um by sandwiching it here in, in between the slab of country fried rock and then like the song about salmon having sex <laughs> y- you miss out on a, a kind of what a quiet and perfectly dark song that is I, I, I really do think that one maybe deserves a little more attention it's still a
3: light shine from that land on down the hall The star of Bethlehem wasn't a star at all.
1: After Neil uh, was you know, finally satisfied, okay, we got American stars and bars out there. Then finally Decade comes out. I don't really think, I mean, obviously every song on this record, most every song at least, we've discussed, probably even excerpted at this point. Can't know for sure until we're done. But one that we haven't really discussed, although Jeff, this is an album that is a three, as I said, a three record set. It starts with the earliest buffalo springfield days and it goes all the way up to like a hurricane which is at that point the most recent thing that he had released um and it includes so notably for a a compilation you have this luxury when you have three records to work with a ton of great outtakes starts with down to the wire with buffalo springfield outtake and then you've got you know uh you know stuff like deep forbidden lake or love is a rose campaigner you know, these songs are all actually really solid. Song Love is a Rose had actually become a hit for Linda Ronstadt in mm-hmm. the meantime, which is why he I probably thought it was a good idea to include it. Uh, but the one that Jeff talked about on our first episode, because it was played by Crazy Horse in 1970, I realized that we neglected to discuss when we talked about On the Beach. And I think it's the greatest outtake from this album. I think it's also. One of the greatest Neil Young songs of all time and I actually think it's going to make it onto my top five. So this is chronologically out of order in terms of recording, but in terms of release, the song Winter Long is something we should not pass over. This is as old as it gets. This dates from 1968. All right, First, you get live versions there. 70. But then he finally recorded it with his On the Beach band and the Beauty of it is stunning. It was the first thing they recorded for those sessions, and it was almost like watching the sun kind of like rise over the horizon after the long dark midnight. The sun finally rises, and here it is, winter long. You know, after recording an album called "Time Fades Away," it's beautiful that he's actually singing an older song that has "After Time Has Passed Away," "Things We Thought of Yesterday," and these great harmonies. Ben Keith on the pedal steel. An absolutely irresistible chord progression. This is one of the great lost ones from Neil.
2: question um it's got a similar vibe i think to like a hurricane in the same in in the same era uh a little bit wistful but i think it's i think it's an even better song than like a hurricane uh it's got something regardless of what mood you're in it's got something for you it rocks a little bit it's got emotional content and emotional weight uh it's got a guitar solo without being overly jammy it's about everything that's good. It's everything that's good about Neil Young distilled into whatever it is, thirty minutes, fifty seconds. Thirty minutes and fifty sorry, seconds? 30, wow, I would love a thirty minute long version too. of Witterla. <laughs> Three minutes, fifty seconds. Sorry. Think about the guitar solos that they could do. It would be it would be great. Yeah.
1: All right, uh, Scott, any thoughts on Decade, since you are the only one of us who had uh, almost comically never even encountered it before we did the shows?
0: Uh, he's a great judge of his own material, is what I'd say. Uh, what I do want to add here very quickly, if we're going back sort of out of order chronologically, is I, I don't think we've mentioned a song. Jeff did a very nice thing, which is going through the second Archive uh, release and sort of highlighting things we might want to hear, because for me to take in this amount of material it would be very hard to listen to all of archives. Archive, so... One of the songs that Jeff highlighted, I think, if I'm not mistaken, dates back originally to the Gold Rush sessions, and then was re-recorded during the Tonight's Night sessions, and that's the song Everybody's Alone. Everybody's Alone, and so I wanted to make sure I mentioned that one. That is a really great song, and it is a little curious that it didn't end up somewhere, because the type of song it is would have fit in a number of places. Uh, again, you have Ben Keith playing Pedal Steel. It's the Santa Monica Flyers who are playing on it. Really nice piano fills. Lyrically, you know, when I, when I learn to be free, I wonder if I'll miss the pain because everybody's alone. And this is the era, as Jeff mentioned earlier, when there's not a real sort of... Uh, 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 the lyrics are, are, are right up front. There's no mistaking what he's talking about. You know, here comes uh, um, Everybody's Alone. This is exactly what the song is about. But it's a beautiful song, and uh, I, I, I do wish it would have turned up somewhere on an album to be a little more universal in its, uh, in its release.
3: People talking to me Someone say-
1: I and mean, the theme is just so perfectly resonant, and then you got to think that's the reason why he revived it for those sessions. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, then again, they also played "Raised on Robbery" by Joni Mitchell for those sessions. So who knows? Maybe they were just drunk. Uh, but yes, the, there are there are this era of Neil Young probably has until we find out that what he's been hiding in the vaults. I, you know, for part three, I would say this era of Neil Young has just more kind of quality unreleased outtakes and things that you would never have imagined were hiding there uh, until last year uh, than any other part of his career. Um, what happens next is, I guess in its own way, actually quite surprising. Some people might accuse it of being a retrenchment. Uh, Neil Young basically gives us Harvest Part 2, which people have been asking him for, for, uh, geez, I guess you know, going on six years now instead of like doing weird, Ditch Trilogy stuff or rocking out with a Crazy Horse or saddling up the Palomino. Um, he goes and records a very beautiful, controlled country album in Nashville with a bunch of his old studio friends and strings and you know singing girls. Nicolette Larson is all over this album. And I'm talking, of course, about Comes a Time. And I would actually argue that this is most underrated album of neil young's 1970s it's a bit of a patchwork too he cannot avoid his 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 desire for hodgepodging uh so there are two songs on this record two of the best songs i might point out that are crazy horse outtakes from like 1975 or thereabouts um but the rest of it is recorded you know with a bunch of his old school harvest hands that kind of country style and uh I've got to say, I, I think that aside from Motorcycle Mama being a little bit noxious, <laughs> even then I was listening to it this morning and I was like, yeah, this isn't even so bad. I think Comes a Time is, is a gentle, low-key album that just doesn't disappoint me in any way.
3: i come down from the misty Mountain I got lost on the human highway, take my head, refreshing fountain, take my eyes from what they've seen, take my hand.
2: It veers a little bit too much into soft rock territory for me. No, you, don't, no,
1: you, you, you don't like already one where it's nah. almost like you, you can feel like we're already one. And it's just like, yes, yes, here, here, here's the Valium and here are the strings.
2: Peace of Mind is a little soft yes. rockish. A lot yes. of love, of course, Nicolette Larson would have a huge top ten hit with on her own. Right. But uh, see, that's on one it. of
1: the that's one of the Crazy Horse songs, ironically enough.
2: Yeah, that's right. It is. Um, and I'm not even sure if Neil liked the final product that much. There's a, now who knows? Neil gets Dylan esque sometimes you never know exactly if what he's saying is the truth. (laughs) But in one of his Rolling Stone interviews, he said that he used, uh, he bought back 200,000 LPs of this record and use them t- as shingles for his barn.
1: Well, that was only because he didn't approve of the mix. On of, those the, of the ones. mix. Yeah, okay, okay. That's not the same as saying he did. He played a lot of these songs. Listen, uh, there's a song on here called Comes a Time. Now, you can criticize. Uh, there's another song on this album called uh, "Fuel of Opportunity that begins with the same simple riff, which is hilarious. You know, uh, You know. <laughs> and do- those, are my two, those are
0: my two favorite songs on the record, by the way. Yeah. So, I guess but, that makes a, sense
1: comes a time is so gentle it's got such a really effortless chorus like oh no you know like you know, this whole world is turning round. it's a wonder tall trees ain't laying down there comes a time and there's just a little just gentle swell of strings underneath it's a simple song but boy i like it nearly as much as anything on harvest maybe even more
2: I do think if you took the best of this record and the best of American Stars and Bars, you would have a record equal to Harvest. Scott?
0: I think this is my least favorite record from, well, that we're covering today. And I totally agree with Jeff, other Jeff, that, uh, yeah, this is a smooth, soft pop. Album at times, and you identified exactly the one I did too, which is Peace of Mind. Uh, that's just that's just really soft rock. Uh, going back, I kind of put in that category. Uh, the songs that I like here even are sort of slow growers. I didn't get them until a few times. That comes a time. Uh, look out for my love. I think took me a while to appreciate. I'm actually kind of embarrassed that I didn't know that Lot of Love was a uh, was a Neil Young pen tune. I know the Nicolette Larson version, but didn't know it was a Neil Young song to begin with. Um, and that's a fine song but there are uh, um, my favorite track is Field of Opportunity which is on the second half. That is a very simple country almost Baker's Field type melody um, and that great line in the field of opportunity it's plowing time again. In the
3: field of opportunity In the field of opportunity, it's plowing time again. In the field of opportunity, it's plowing time again.
0: Love that line from Neil. But there are parts on here when I feel like he's almost singing through a mask. Um It's just so light and breezy at times. Is this the Neil Young that we know? Is this the Neil Young that we've come to appreciate these past few albums? Um, it's a stylistic departure, at least uh, from the past few. You know, if we want to go back to Harvest, as, as you guys mentioned, that there's some replication there. But I think the first half of of American Stars and Bars is better than than uh, Comes a Time, and it tries to mine that same that same territory. There's a a sail away on the next album, Rust Never Sleeps, which I I think is, again, similar, but probably better than almost everything I can come to. Time. Um, So, yeah, I I think it's my least favorite album of this era.
1: I have to say, I've always appreciated a well calibrated arrangement. And you get that on a song like Going Back, which opens this record. Um, You know, I feel like, you know, how is it open? Doom! You know, GG, GG, you hear the little guitars come in. it the way jeff described harvest on our last album you know it's like the first half of harvest being very buttoned up this is a buttoned up kind of a song but in a good way it's taught and then what i like most about this record is that neil young shows that he he can do the same thing with uh, comes a time or rather with crazy horse and he does it on my favorite song from the record. And I think one that will be making my top five at the end, and that is Look Out for My Love. This is one that is a couple years old. It actually dates from 76 or thereabout. It's on the, the box set that we just got. Um, this is one of, this is a, almost an arrangement that is so calibrated that you wouldn't have thought that it could come from Crazy Horse. Because, you know, what do we think of Crazy Horse? We think of the thump a thump a thump a 4 4 big chunk of rhythms. This one is just – it is like a rubber band that's been double-stretched, double-wound tight. You know, you own it, and it's boom, do-do-do-do-do-do-do, boom, you own it. I almost can hear the rehearsals in my mind that they had to go through to nail that arrangement. But then there's more – there's there's sound painting on that record that you don't – never. Really, you know, I've talked about it a couple of times with Neil Young songs, but you get it where at the end, you know, he's like sitting about singing in an airplane. Silver wings of morning shining in the gray day. The ice is forming on the lonely runway. And then, you know, hydraulic wipers pumping. And then you hear that wonka,
2: wonka, wonka,
1: wonka till the window glistens. And then there's men with walkie talkies and then you hear like feedback in the background. Like, you know, it's the sound of like, you know, they know, you know. The the walkie-talkie hiss, men with flashlights waving upon the tower that time reads daylight savings. That is a song that never gets above a roar. It's not like a rock song, it's not Cortez the Killer or like a hurricane. But I think in terms of an ensemble performance, it's one of the four or five greatest things that Crazy Horse ever did. Look
3: out for my love. It's a- Saying something, no one seems to listen. Men with walkie-talkies, men with flashlights waving. Up upon the tower, time reads daylight saving. I'm home again, to you, babe. You know it makes me wonder. Sitting in the quiet slipstream In the thunder Look out for my love Look out for
2: my love Look out for my love Do you all disagree? <laughs> 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 I wouldn't go that far, but I like it. Well, okay, <laughs> we're going to have to edit that part out. <laughs> <laughs> How
1: dare you! How dare you poke a hole in my balloon, my friend? All right, even if you don't care, for comes a time, which I obviously do. I like it. I don't. Want, I don't mind the softness. Um, what we're coming upon here, as we kind of wind the show up, uh, is the last. I was about to say the last studio album of Neil Young's career. Uh, this part of Neil Young's career, but of course, the joke is, is it's not really a studio album kind of a studio, there are some songs there a lot of live songs, a lot of songs that are altered in the studio, this is where the Neil Young hodgepodge effect just goes crazy because Rust Never Sleeps, as I mentioned right back at the start of the show, is the album that cemented my affection for Neil Young it comes out in 1979 I have a lot of thoughts about this album um, in, including you know some theories and or hot takes but uh, what can you say you know about it except to start by pointing out this is the one that has you know out of the blue my my hey hey you know it's better to burn out than to fade away Uh, this is the one that has uh, Pocahontas where you know he wants to sing with Marlon Brando Pocahontas and me uh, this is the one with Powderfinger. Oh God, the greatest Neil Young song of all time. This is the one where he decides that sedan delivery is a good job, and you know, <laughs> it, you know, it can give, deliver me a fine living. Uh, what do we think about Russ Never Sleeps? And I want Scott to go first because he knows why I want him to go
0: first. Yeah, and I, I'll disappoint you a little bit because I was onto something. Uh, we, Jeff and I had talked yesterday, and I, I said, you know, one of, a hot take I might have here is that I, I don't know about Russ Never Sleeps. And what what I think happened is is this: is on Russ Never Sleeps, you have two versions, of course, of my my hey hey, or you know my my hey hey, and then hey hey my my at the end. Uh, P- Powderfinger is a song that w- w- is taken from the archives. You have uh, Sail Away and Pocahontas, which are both taken from the archives, uh, both I believe in their original uh, forms, and placed along these songs that are recorded live in front of an audience. Um, and then something like Thrasher, which uh, which to me sounds very early. Um, you know, th- that that to me is another one of those Bob Dylan sort of exercises, in which you have n- you know eight verses, no chorus. Uh, and very dylan esque lyrics. What uh, was when one I when I, uh, I, searched up my, uh, I searched up my companions who were lost in crystal canyons when the aimless uh, uh, blade of silence slashed the pearly gates. It sounds very dillon to me. So,
1: But you didn't like I, it when he said he burned his credit card for fuel? I, did, I love that one I line. did
3: like that. Where the eagle lies descending There's an ancient river bending Through the timeless gorge Of changes Where sleeplessness Awaits I searched out my Companions Who were lost in crystal Canyons When the aimless blade Of science slashed The pearly gates It was then that I knew I'd had enough Burned my credit card for it out to where the pavement turns to sand. With the one-way ticket to the land of truth and my suitcase in my hand. How I lost my friends, I still don't understand.
0: But, so, but my point being is, when I heard Russ Never Sleeps, I was hearing like half of an album I had already heard before in various uh, places through my, through my journey. Cause I, you know, I was going front to back, uh, when I was catching up on all these albums. And so then I, you know, I listened very fresh this morning and tried to, to sort of, I stepped, I actually took the headphones off and I was trying to appreciate it just as, as, as an entity. And on that level, I do get it. I I don't, I'm still probably going to be the one of the three of us who likes this one the least, uh, but I do now see how those pieces come together. Pocahontas sounds very good in context here, next to those other songs. Again, Sail Away here I like better than anything from the previous album. I think Thrasher, uh, I do like Thrasher as a song. Uh, is a, a great, great version. I'm not. I'm still. You gotta. You gotta work on me, Jeff, because I'm sure. I'm still not sure about Sedan Delivery and Welfare Mothers. <laughs> right there in the middle of, of Welfare the album.
1: Mothers is probably the weakest song on the album. And I, you know, okay, I was I, making my own. You know, remarking to myself this morning about that as well, I was thinking to myself, you know, welfare mothers. You know, this is a 1977, 1978 song. It's like, but you know, you can't blame Reagan for this, can mm-hmm. you? Right? <laughs> you know, we, we think of Reagan talking about welfare queens and all of that, and it's like this is the
2: beginning of the Carter administration.
1: <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> maybe Neil Young was just
2: ahead of those times. I don't know where yeah, that came ahead from. of the curve, and yeah. Scott, we, Scott, I know you know the Bottle Rockets. We could put that up against Welfare Music. That's right, from uh, Brooklyn side. Yeah, A side and B side. Uh, I'll start with a really hot take on this album. Well, I just uh, more in general, I think that now that we're wrapping up the 1970s with Neil Young, I think Neil Young in the 70s matches and exceeds what Bob Dylan and Bruce Springsteen did in the 70s. I don't know. You could say that about their entire career. Um, but I would nudge Neil's output ahead of both of theirs. I think his highs are just as high and his lows are not as low. Um, even if it is sometimes unfocused or slapdash. And I say that because here we are at, at the end of that decade, which he concludes with one of his strongest albums, there's this sort of, uh, superstition among Neil, Neil Young fans that the end of a decade tends to turn on his creative juices, which we'd see again with freedom, uh, and, and Ragged Glory 10 years later. Um, speaking of Dylan, I read one critic last week when I was reviewing all this stuff again. I think it was somebody from allmusic.com where he likened it to bringing it all back home where you had the acoustic side and the electric side and one foot in the present and one foot in the future. And that might be an apt comparison, I think, because the first side is is sort of of its time it's acoustic uh it it maybe even feels out of place when punk and new wave and disco are ascendant and then you get to side two and he just seems to embrace the punk Mm -hmm. aesthetic especially with welfare mothers and 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 sedan delivery i personally like the first side better i think the songs are stronger especially thrasher and and pocahontas which are two of my favorite Neil young songs uh, of, of any era um Thrasher being sort of a casting off all of his burden about Crosby, Stills, and Nash uh, in, in a in a very uh, symbolic roundabout way. Um, although I like the first side better, Jeff, I think now here's the time where we have to talk about Powderfinger because it kicks off the second half. It's a song that he wrote for Ronnie Van Zant, intended it to be for Leonard Skinnerd. Ronnie Van Zant dies in the plane crash. So Neil records it himself. Um
1: It's the greatest Neil Young song of all time, and I have so much I want to say about it.
2: Agrees with us when they ranked all of Neil Young's songs. Uh, not that that's dispositive, but I'll take it. Um, well, let me ask you this to kick it off. Is it about Vietnam? Is it about Native Americans? Is it about guns? Is it a metaphor for the path from childhood to adulthood? You can, no, you make- it's about the Civil War, simple as that. Oh, it's about the Civil War now. Okay.
1: No, it clearly is. I mean, because what else is some guy who's talking about, you know, you know, you know, Big John and Emmy Lou. He's living in the south. He's living on the river. Maybe it's the Red River, the Mississippi River, some river where gunboats coming up. And uh not the, you know, not the Mekong River? No, Daddy's gone. My okay. brother's out hunting in the mountains. Yeah, somebody on Twitter, I talked about this like a month ago, who pointed out that it's like the buck passing. And that second lyric that gets this poor kid into the position that he's in yes. uh, is so wonderfully expressed. It's his best lyric ever. Yes, It's his best lyric ever. So look out, mama. There's a white boat coming up the river with a big red beacon and a flag on a man on the rail. Better call John because it don't look like they're here to deliver the mail. And <clears throat> then, that, as I said, the buck passing. My dad's gone. My brother's out hunting. Big John, he's a hopeless drunk, says his daughter died. And so the powers that be left me here to do the thinking, and I just turned 22. I was wondering what to do, and the closer they got, the more those feelings grew. And then you go into the two greatest guitar solos of Neil Young's entire recorded career. Um, there's two passes he does through this throughout the lyric. You know, um, the the first one is very beautiful, and then the second one, you know, where. You know, he says, you know, he raises his rifle to his eye. He's he's a kid. He's an idiot kid standing on the dock. He's too young to know any better. There's a gunboat that has cannons on it coming up and he's just taking pot shots at it like a moron. He doesn't have the good sense to just flee to get out there. To listen to what his dad said. He said, Red means run, son, numbers add up to nothing. But instead, he's like, I've got to defend the homestead. I've got to defend the family. I'm a young, dumb kid, and I don't know any better. He shoots. What inevitably happens? He gets shot back, immediately crushed. I saw black. My face splashed in the sky. Which is and vivid.
2: That is a vivid lyric.
1: It's a vivid lyric. And then Neil Young goes into the single greatest guitar line of his entire career. That guitar soul will live in history as the most powerful emotive piece of playing that he did with poncho on rhythm at the same time final line where he says please shelter me from the powder and the figure cover me with the thought that pulled the trigger and then think of me as one you'd never figured that would have fade away so young with so much left undone it's such a powerful lyric it's about a, it's, it's, it's a as I said I always locate it in the civil war in the south which is some kid who doesn't know what he's doing doesn't know what he's supposed to be doing he's left alone all of the authority figures are gone and he just says, well, I got to be a man and stand up. And for all that, he dies. And that's the story.
2: I have also never heard a version of this that I didn't like or at least appreciate. Uh, the version on Hitchhiker, the version on Chrome Dreams, acoustic, electric, doesn't matter. I, I, always, I always find a way to appreciate this song. In fact, I have a favorite cover of this even uh, that the Beat Farmers did in the, I want to say <laughs> the 80s a long lost alt country band. That's a great cover. Look that up.
1: I mean, the thing is, my hot take on Russ never sleeps is that I think it is one of his superb albums. It's actually, I'm not sure if it's going to make it onto my top two at the end, but that's not due to any fault of its own. It's just due to the fact that Neil Young started this segment of our episode off with two of the greatest freaking albums of all time. And so don't blame Neil. Um, but it could be number three. Uh, I don't really find any faults with the songs. Actually, I think Sail Away, if you had to ask me, uh, is the weakest track on this record. It's just sort of like a... You can tell that it's a, an American Stars and Bars outtake, actually. But there are songs like Pocahontas, which is meant to sound like a live track, but it's not. They they add a little echo in here for this version. and They add some like secondary guitars. But that just beautiful opening lyric aurora borealis the icy sky at night paddles cut the water in a long and hurried flight from the white man to the fields of green and the homeland we've never seen and you think this song is going to be about like well okay it's just about the white man despoiling the native american and and then like all of a sudden like nearly at the end of the song it, it just takes this hilarious bizarre left turn where it's like If I was a trapper, I'd give a thousand pelts to sleep with Pocahontas and find out how she felt. And then maybe Marlon Brando would be there by the fire and we'd sit and talk of Hollywood and the good things there for hire and the Astrodome and the first TP. Marlon Brando, Pocahontas, and me. That is like you can just sense the moment when Neil Young was writing that song where he decided to knock off and smoke up.
2: Well, maybe, maybe while he was watching the Academy Awards. Perhaps, right. right, you know, right. Where Marlon yeah.
1: Brando had, like, you know, Sashin Littlefeather or whatever her name was go accept the award for him for The Godfather. Yeah. But uh, uh, but like you just like to say, like, oh, he got high there, watched the Academy Awards, and came back and wrote the last two stanzas of that song. And it's a beautiful song. And, you know... It's funny, we we, we can't really talk about Russ Never Sleeps without talking about uh, the opening and closing songs that bracket it, which are Hey Hey, My My, and My My Hey Hey, Out of the Blue and Into the Black. Now, Scott, actually, before I continue onwards, can can you tell us a little bit about how shocked you were to find out that uh, there is an unexpected Devo connection here? Yes, this is...
0: I don't know how this could exist and no one could tell me. Um, You you can correct me on the story, but uh, he had been working a bit with Mark Mothersbaugh from Devo uh, prior to Rust Never Sleep, like 78 or so. 77, actually, yeah. 77. And uh, and then there is uh, this version of My, My, Hey, Hey, or Hey, Hey, My, My, probably it's more electric with with Neil Young playing with Devo and uh, the video is nuts. Uh it's is it from a it's from a uh some sort of release, right? That It's they, from uh, uh,
1: an unreleased documentary that that Neil Young was making called Human Highway, but yeah, that's where it's from.
0: And you can find it on YouTube and you can find it uh I guess uh elsewhere. But uh it sounds exactly as you think it sounds. Neil Young playing with Devo. And as Jeff mentioned to me when I when I said, how could this be out there and I didn't know about it, it does explain in part uh, the, the, the twist, the turn we're going to see as part three begins uh, in the music of Neil Young because it, it is influenced somewhat by that sort of uh, Devo um, sound. But just what they do... I mean, it's it's not entirely unlike the Devo take on, you know, satisfaction, right? Sort of deconstructing uh, the song and getting it to its to its essence and then putting it all back together again. But hearing uh, Neil Young play with Devo on Hey, Hey, My, My certainly was one of the highlights of the prep for this episode.
1: Now, I, I'm curious to know, and I'd like to get a poll from, from both of you, uh, of these two versions, which do you prefer? I'll tell you mine. The end of the black one is the one that made it the the electrified version that ends the album. That's the one that Mother's Ball actually contributed that lyric. You know, it's better to burn out because rust Rust never never sleeps. sleeps." Um, That is the one that is sort of more popular. It's not my favorite. The one that I always loved was that opening acoustic one, which I guess is old school. It's just Neil with a guitar and a harmonica. But there's something about. Sort of the crystal clarity of the recording, which is beautiful. The the way the guitar sounds on that is flawless, and maybe I have to say I'm a sucker for the original lyrics. You know, it's you know it's better to burn out than to fade away. Mm-hmm. My, and and uh, you know the king is gone, but he's not forgotten. And Neil Young is one of those few people who cared. Maybe he was worried about that he was getting passed up or getting old so he talks about here you know, is this the story of Johnny Rotten Elvis Presley and Johnny Rotten in one lyric um, it all works and it all works particularly because it comes from the mouth of a man who had been around playing music relevant since 1966 he was the dinosaur you know that you know no Elvis beetle or the rolling stones that's what that's what the clash said on the song 1977 and so Neil Young could have looked at that and said well that could have just as easily been talking about me (laughs)
2: guy who he he never really drew their ire the way the say the way that like uh famously the sex pistols just hated like pink floyd and the big bombastic stadium rock acts yeah. And and Neil would never really draw their ire in the same way. He he maintained the same kind of respect for a long time cuz he was just weird. He was always yeah. weird. But yeah.
1: even then he felt he, you could just see the anxiety in that song like yep. you know, it, it, do I want to just become an old dinosaur or, or or do I try to try to creatively reinvigorate myself? Which is what this song and this album is all about. So anyways, I prefer the acoustic version to the electric version.
2: What do you guys think? I I'll take electric just because it was so formative for me. I mean, I remember hearing it when I was 12 years old, Mm -hmm. and that's probably part of the reason I haven't talked about it more effusively right now is because it's one of those songs that when I was growing up, it's like, you know, the first Boston album or (laughs) something from the Edgar Winner group, which was just played so much on classic rock radio that I never need to hear it again because it's imprinted in my brain.
0: prefer the acoustic version uh the first version uh, as, i as love a man of class course. and taste i do want to ask this question of you guys and uh you know my my hey hey the first version is one of the few times on the record that you actually hear the live audience they they mm-hmm. come up and applaud on the uh rock and roll will never uh, die lyric you can hear them but other than that the the audience is essentially excluded from this recording. You don't have the the live, uh, even like on uh, Time Fades Away, you don't have that sort of audience interaction between songs. You don't have the applause. You don't have any of that. What what do you read or make into the fact that that was sort of edited out of all of these songs?
1: I'll tell you, I have a real strong theory about this. And I have a theory uh, that Neil Young was trying to describe an era of creative fallowness and this is a theory that I'm going to advance and talk about a lot more on our third episode because here's my hot take about Russ Never Sleeps the album itself on an objective level is I I think nearly perfect it's one of his truly great records but as Scott you yourself noted earlier so many of these songs are old Powderfinger, Sedan Delivery, Sail Away Pocahontas, Ride My Lamma um, we don't even know. We might find out when the third archive set comes out, you know, somewhere next year, apparently, uh, that Thrasher is an old song, and that or Welfare Mothers. It feels there that are, way to me.
0: Thrasher feels old to me, too. Yeah. It,
1: and that exactly what you said. It feels like an older composition. We don't know about that yet. But, you know, what this album does a brilliant job of disguising is the fact that he seems like he's running out of creative gas. He, he's not writing new songs. And here's my second hot take. Why would that be? What happens during this period that might, might make somebody who's always been a very fertile songwriter run out of the time to write and think about these things? And, of course, the answer to this is, I think, truly. This is an album that comes out in 79. Uh, these recordings date from the the acoustic stuff is from early 78, May late May of 78 and then the electric stuff is from like late October of 78 what happens in between those things it's the birth of his second son Ben to his new wife Peggy Young and his first son Zeke had mild cerebral palsy this is something we talked about actually Scott when we did our again our tribute songs episode this is the second Neil Young song I mentioned on that show
2: Mm
1: -hmm. Um, the son his first son was born with mild cerebral palsy his second son, Ben, was born with severe cerebral palsy. And the doctors told him, like a week after he was born, that he's never going to walk. He's never going to talk. He's a quadriplegic. And it was a devastating, I mean, obviously for any parent, that's a just utterly devastating diagnosis. It's just completely wrecked him. And, uh, you know, from this point onwards, it, it, when it comes to his, like, studio recordings, Nominal studio recordings, at least um we're going to notice for a long time that there seems to be like some sort of weird contrarian streak going on, or you know he's throwing a curveball at us, he's not giving us the old neil young we we thought we were expecting, et cetera, et cetera. Well, the real reason for that is that he had decided that it was more important for him to devote his time to being a father and seeking treatment for his son alternative treatments. And, you know, for for talking with him, communicating with him, and for being a father, frankly. And I think that is one of the weird subtexts on Rust Never Sleeps that people don't recognize. That the album is composed mostly of recycled songs and outtakes. And one of the reasons why he was returning to those wells and, and doing a fantastic job of it, mind you, is because his mind was now going to subsequently for the rest of the decade be occupied with something that he considered far more important to him.
0: That makes sense, and that sets the table, I guess, for where we'll go in episode three. But But before
1: we go to that, we should end with with a live album. Uh, And I know that this was the first, as Jeff said on the beginning of our first show, uh, let's just end by talking about Live Rust, which is, I think, incidentally, it's an album that, like, you know, you might think of it like what's the purpose of it anymore with all these archival releases of all these songs and you can get 16 versions of all these tunes elsewhere. Uh, this was the first ever Neil Young live album. Time Fades Away, I guess was nominally live, but it was all new songs, but this is the first like Neil Young, like, Hey, you want to hear all the great stuff live, live rust, 17 years or I guess 17 years technically into his career is the first one. And it was Jeff's first CD, so I'd love to hear what he thinks about it.
2: Uh yes, there's a bit of a greatest hits element to it, but it's as good as Crazy Horse has ever sounded, or or and ever would sound. I think that includes the weld live disc in in nineteen ninety-one. Uh there's a real urgency to the playing. Uh like uh, when you dance and the loner, they really they attack the songs in a way that the studio versions just don't. Um, there's a real edge and rawness to it. And Jeff, your your mileage might vary, but I think these are the definitive takes on two Springfield songs: "Sugar Mountain" and "I Am a Child." I think the solo acoustic versions here are are better. Um, I even like the solo solo acoustic version of "Comes a Time." Um, front to back, a lot of this album is, is, is what I consider to be the, the, the definitive version of a song when I hear I'll, it in my I'll head. I'll tell
1: you this, Jeff. I never liked I Am A Child, like when I heard it on Decade or on the Buffalo Springfield stuff, until I heard the Live Rust version. That yeah. just is just the most perfect acoustic performance ever. <laughs>
3: A smile.
2: A lot of the songs that I hear in my head, I hear the live rust version just automatically. Um, So spoiler alert, that's going to be in my top two.
1: (laughs) I mean, there's a couple things here that feel like a bit of a ripoff. So like, Hey Hey My My, Into the Black. Same version that's on Rust yes, Never Sleeps. It is exact, and not only it that, is. but they edited it for the CD.
2: I actually have unedited. Right. I got an LP rip that has like the original version. It's the same song. Well, that's from from the concert film. If you get the concert film um, on DVD, which is really, it's weird. Uh, the, he's got the, the roadies are dressed like Jawas from Star Wars.
1: Yes, and, and then they have the giant. They have like, they're like
2: fake amplifiers that are literally like two stories high. Oh, they're, yeah, they're it. like thirty foot tall Fender amps on stage, and you all you get everything that's on Live Rust, but you also get Thrasher and a couple of other songs that didn't make the cut. Um, it's really it's a great concert film. Even I love I, I, I love the Jawa roadies. Like who'd have thought Neil Young watching
1: Star Wars and thinking, you know what? Man, we gotta incorporate. Boy, Jawas. I got an idea. Yeah. I got an idea. Jawas in the stage show. That'll <laughs> that'll that'll really like
2: thrill him. I and would it, have loved to be in the meeting when he told the roadies that they were gonna have to dress like that. I yeah, wear the hoods. <laughs> and the and the and the eyes. They had yeah. like flashlights for eyes. And... It's amazing. It's like such a silly impulse, but yeah, for
1: some reason it works. There's something there's almost like an innocence about it. It's like it, it it's like a naif's view of like you know concert presentation, and yet because it has that approach to it, it works. Scott, have you? Did you? I know you've never been the biggest live album aficionado. Did you listen to Live Ross?
0: I gave it a listen, and uh, it's not something that jumped off the uh, the page to me. A uh, couple, I guess, two things. Uh, now I can't remember the second thing. The first thing, though, is that this is this is Crazy Horse, which all that I mean is you know Ben Keats not here, so it's just it's the four members, and there is a different energy and power. That comes when it's just those four guys on stage, so that's uh, that's something to note. And I, oh, the other thing I was going to mention is uh, sedan delivery. Again, in in this uh, in this live Rust stage, I think comes off pretty well too. That's that's a, a song that well, I mean, it was live on on Rust Never Sleeps too, but certainly, it is it is different uh, performance, though. different performance, right? But certainly that's a song that that benefits from being in this this live setting as well. I guess that brings us to the end of this
1: show. And I and I, I sort of queued up where we're going to go uh, after we're done here. Uh, it's Neil Young in the 1980s, a.k.a. Neil Young gets oh, – you thought Neil Young was weird already? Well, baby, you ain't seen nothing yet, to quote another Canadian contemporary of Neil's. <laughs> this is going to be a wild ride on Part 3. But, yeah, I think I think this is the point where we say – Goodbye and God bless.
0: Music, standby for music, totally unrepresentative of Neil Young as an artist.
1: Yes. In fact, I think almost like lawsuit worthy.
0: <laughs> we are at the part of the show where we give you uh, two albums and five songs. Very hard uh, to do for uh, this second part of Neil Young's episode. We, uh, we, we, we push aside the difficulty by making the guests go first. Editor in chief at National <laughs> Journal, nationaljournal.com, Jeff DeFore. Jeff, your two albums. And your five songs, please.
2: My two albums are pretty easy. I've told you them both already. Uh, On the Beach, the um, the great one of the great unheralded albums in, in rock history, I think, um, and something that everyone needs to hear and needs to hear multiple times. Um, and then Live Rust. Of course, I have a personal connection to it. Uh, and I would also say, if you're getting into Neil Young pre nineteen eighty, if if you're not already steeped in in the Neil Young mythology. Live Rust and the Decade Compilation will get you very, very far into, into the career uh, and give you a, an excellent sample of it. Um, five songs. At one point, I had Ambulance Blues, Revolution Blues, and On the Beach all on this list. <laughs> but since I've given you the album already, that gives me an excuse to get rid of those. Um, I'm going to go with Winter Long because, I. speaking of unheralded, um, I, I think it's one of the great Neil Young songs that shockingly never was on a, a, a true album, a true released album. I'm going to go with, uh, with Pocah. I'm going to go with two from, uh, from Russ never sleeps, Pocahontas, which I think is one of my, one of his great ballads, one of my favorite ballads that he ever did. Another one that I got into initially, I think uh, more so off the unplugged album, which I'll talk about a lot next time. And then also power finger agree with Jeff. It's the greatest Neil Young moment. Um, I think it's one of the great rock and roll songs from the American songbook. It's, it's become a standard, and it deserves to be. Uh, and then a little bit more obscure, I'm going to go with "Push It Over the End, um, something that I had heard a couple times, but I give Jeff Blair plenty of credit for uh, nudging me back into it and, and inspiring me to listen to it several times again over the last couple weeks, uh, and, and rewardingly so. And then, pardon my heart, the, um, uh, the, the acoustic outlier uh, on Zuma, an otherwise electric album, uh, which is, for my money, one of his great acoustic country rock moments. Those are my five.
0: All right. Uh, so for my two albums, I will do the expected thing, or at least the easy thing, which is to say, uh, one... On the Beach, I think, is the greatest album of this era from Neil Young and to Tonight's the Night. And they're right back to back and they're right at the start of this uh, era. But I I mean, those are the two I recommend. And especially Tonight's the Night, I, I think, is an album that has to be appreciated as an album, not sort of taken uh, part by part which is one reason I'm not going to put any songs from that album on my list of five songs. You should, you should, you should take in Tonight's Tonight as a, as a unique, separate entity. So, on my list of five songs, I do have two, though, from On the Beach. One, uh, just, to, just to rib uh, Jeff a little bit, is Walk On, which I really do love and <laughs> think that you should hear. Uh, on the Beach, also the title track from that record. Uh, I will, I will echo Jeff though and say, pardon my heart, which again, I, I just blown away by, uh, the, f- the very first time I heard it, that, that is a tremendous song. Um, vacancy, great rocker, brutal lyrics, uh, vacancies on the list. And I will also, uh, probably make it a trifecta by saying, uh, powder finger from rust never sleeps also on my list of five. Jeff, over to you.
1: All right, well, you listed them out of order like the noob you are, so I will list the top two albums in proper order and say it's Tonight's the Night and On the Beach. Yes, they were released in reverse, but Tonight's the Night comes first. On the Beach comes second. Listen, I could have included Zuma. I could have included Rust Never Sleeps. I could have included Live Rust. I could have included Decade. But I'm just, you know, this is this period of... You know, basically he was indomitable as a creative force in, in this era and those two are just wonderful and it's funny as I included Time Fades Away on our first episode so the entire Ditch Trilogy makes my top <laughs> albums as for my five songs boy this is so hard I forced myself to choose only one song per album <clears throat> do you understand how brutal that is so from Tonight's the Night I decided to go with Albuquerque as I said it's the most resigned sounding song ever and it's a beautiful, sad, surrendered song, "Ambulance Blues" from On the Beach. It's one of his greatest tunes ever. From Zuma, there's so much that on Zuma to love, but I' will stick with Barstool Blues, which just you know, feels like a, a, a like a hurricane, but a slow blowing hurricane that just sort of takes its time to move through you. Um, I'll take comes uh rather look out for my love from comes a time. You guys don't appreciate it nearly as much as I do if the pause after I talked about it was any indication. (laughs) But I think it's just one of the best Crazy Horse performances of their career. Powderfinger, you're right. It's the trifecta. I talked about why I loved it already. I don't need to reiterate why I think it may be Neil Young's greatest ever song. And of course, since I'm a host and I get to do these cheating-like things, I'm going to add a sixth song and uh, say String Man, which was an outtake. It was recorded live on tour and then overdubbed for an album that never got released. And it was first only played live, unplugged in 1993. But of course, it's Neil Young's tribute to Stephen Stills. And it's one of his most beautiful little piano ballads with one of his most moving lyrics, again, uh, that I appreciate because he's writing so heartfeltly about a, a person who is really hard to feel very heartfelt about.
3: You can say the soul is gone And close another door Just be sure that yours is not the one And I'm singing for the string man Who lately lost his wife There is no dearer friend of mine That I know in this life On his shoulder rests a violin For his head where chaos reigns But his heart can't find a simple way To live with all those things
0: Are. part 2 of neil young gets us through the 70s and uh four more decades await us as we run into part 3 Easy peasy, lemon squeezy. Yeah, we'll see about that.
1: Half uh, an hour, we're going to spend a half an hour on to, on Everybody's Rockin', which, by the way, is longer than the album Everybody's Rockin' right. actually runs.
0: 24 <laughs> minutes or something. Uh, thanks to our guest on this one. Once again, Jeff DeFore. Find him at nationaljournal.com or at DC DeFore on Twitter. Jeff, we'll welcome you back for part three. Thank you, sir. You got it. I look forward to it. I look forward to
2: condensing 40 years into... Uh... Well, maybe.
1: Yeah, listen. You know what? The beauty about this is that we don't really have to spend too much time on
2: landing on water. No, we don't. Or life. <laughs> no, we don't. Yeah.
0: So, Jeff, uh, original Jeff, I do look forward to your uh, your roadmap through these uh, copious albums that are making up the next forty years. So I can uh, I can make sure I hit the highlights and maybe skip a few things that uh, although you know you know I I know I had said that the only Neil Young album I ever had is Harvest but that's not true I got a a copy of Are You Passionate from the radio station because it was sent to us when it was released so I, I and a poster so I, somewhere somewhere at home I do I've never listened to it more than once but somewhere at home I do have a CD of Are You Passionate and a poster of Are You Passionate so we'll see if we talk about that there are
2: much. there are two good songs on Are You Passionate <laughs> which is more than I can say. For some of the discs, we'll talk about.
1: Let's let's impeach the podcast host. <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's right. Jeff, find him uh, online at Esoteric CD. My name is Scott Bertram. Find me on Twitter at Scott Bertram. Again, head to our Patreon page, Patreon.com/slash. Political Beats help the show stay ad-free. Support us in our efforts to get the entry level, you get the mid level, you get the upper level with exclusive content for the upper level, remastered episodes, Spotify play- playlist, and much more. Head on over Patreon.com/slash Political Beats. We come now to the part of the episode where we thank our supporters via Patreon. Today, Jeffrey kepenick Christopher Merkel, Stephen McHugh, Angela Gillery, Daniel Hamilton, Brian Berkey. Mike G. Stanley Paul Chevelle, Ian Brown, John Fredland, Paul Zumo, and David Hawkinson. Thank you all for supporting us and being our Patreons over at patreon.com slash political beats. Also subscribe to our feed for new episodes, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, uh, or TuneIn, or nationalreview.com to find those individual episodes as well. Find us on Facebook, Join the conversation on Twitter, at political underscore beats. This has been a presentation of National Review. This is Political Beats.